When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Folks. Everyone's favorite time of year is right around the corner, college football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly. When you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what, head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the great promotions and daily odds boosts that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. W-I-T-H-I-T.
Welcome to Tales with TR, episode 64. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. Hope everybody's doing all right. I'm feeling pretty good. The masks, ma- the mask mandate got lifted yesterday here in Newfoundland. Reminding me of the way life used to be and the life, uh, the way life will be. Going into the future, knock on wood, hopefully, but uh, everything going in the right direction. The world is opening up. Today's guest, PJ Stock. Well, first of all, first of all, thanks a lot to Taran, the Sandman Samwith. Uh, my guest last week, one of my real good friends and never disappoints and had a lot of positive feedback. Always do from the Sandman. So thanks to him. And uh, yeah, PJ Stock, an interesting cat. Uh, came across PJ way, way back in 90, God, I guess it would have been 1996 at an exhibition, uh, kind of an exhibition weekend with the Habs rookies, Rangers rookies, and, and I believe the Leafs rookies. But in any case, it was rookies or no rookies. It was a brawl, pretty much. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday brawl fest. <laughs> and, uh, um. It's just the way camps were back then, man. Uh, there was always a bunch of people auditioning for a spot or two as, as a quote-unquote tough guy. But you also, as, you know, PJ and I had a lot of points in junior, and but you also come in, even if you're moderately tough or, or you just don't back down, like those are the games to show it. And back then, that was definitely what was on display the most. Um. And they were tough, to, tough to get ready for. And I remember PJ looked at me and I looked at him and it was almost like, you know, we might as well fight each other because the place is going up and a lot of people out here are dirty. <laughs> you know what? Well, we didn't really say that, but I know that's what we were thinking. I've talked to him in years to come, the years that came. Um, and yeah, you just didn't know what to expect. So best case scenario, I guess, if you were going to get into a fight, get into one with someone who kind of fought your style, which PJ did, or does, and um, someone that, you know, probably probably wasn't going to spear you after you got out of the box. Like, Bird Dog was always a bad option in those games because he'd chop you over the laces, break your foot. Survival of the fittest, though. Um, it's not like that anymore, and maybe that's a good thing. But uh, anyway, I've known PJ a long time. We came across each other. Many times in pro and uh, since, actually, we were roommates at Dale Howard Chuck's golf tournament a couple of years ago or a few years ago. And our rest in peace, Dale, he passed away about a year ago now. I guess this would have been about 2017. We went up and spent a weekend at his golf tournament in Muskoka. And um, we both spoke a little bit and uh, played some golf with some legends. It was a great time. PJ's brother, Dean, who's also passed away. Uh, rest in peace, Dean. Played with uh, a few of my friends, including a good friend I grew up with, Kurt Walsh. Kurt uh, is a police officer now in Halifax, I believe. Uh, we're the same age. He got drafted to Buffalo, third round from Newfoundland. I've known him my whole life. And, and just saying that actually reminds me that I need to get in touch with Kurt. I haven't, uh, Kurt, I haven't talked to him in a while. And was always one of my good friends. Uh, Ken Reed, if you're listening, I forgot to send you the 8x10, and I apologize for that. It's coming. Uh, what other news? I'm running for city council. 
And a huge response yesterday. I appreciate that. Most of it was good. Some of it was bad. You wouldn't believe some of the messages, but uh, I appreciate it. You know, I really do. Um, Opinions are opinions. They're out there. Uh, Everybody has one. And if you don't happen to support me and want to send me a message, hey, that's fine. It's constructive criticism. Although, although, just a note, I won't say the name, but just a note. One of you sent me a message. I'll say Dustin, okay? Dustin, so you're a dickhead. That's not really a criticism. I need something specific. I can't really work with that. You know what I mean? One person said, hey, what do you think you can do? You know, I think maybe you'd be good for the uh, sporting community, maybe the entertainment industry here. But outside of that, I don't know what you can do. So, I mean, you want to get specific, it would be hard, but I guess I can do that. Um, first of all, sporting and entertainment fields, I don't know if you want to call it an industry in Mount Pearl, but if we could bring more of that industry to Mount Pearl, I don't see a problem. I remember last time I ran on the same thing. You know, I, I, I'm from Mount Pearl. I think that I could really listen to constituents and, and, and I would. And much like a hockey team, you know, I've been captain of teams. You don't really know what your the players are going to bring up or say or coaches or whatever, but you're there to listen and, and try to improve constructively on that either criticism or suggestion, whatever it might be, complaint. So outside of thinking and, and, and knowing that I could do a good job there, for example, last time I ran and I said, you know, I'll try to get craft, craft Hockeyville here. I have some pull in the hockey industry, if nothing else. Um, and, and I did. I'm not saying I got it here, but I, I remember having conversations. Uh, Tara Sloan and Ron McLean are my good friends. Not that they make the final decision. I don't know how that works, but I know that, you know, conversations I had, I, I, I know that I definitely helped bring it here. And that happened in October, like maybe a month after the election last time. I didn't get in, but, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not complaining or saying I should have because I brought Craft Hockeyville. No, that was a group um, effort, mostly the city of Mount Pearl, I'm assuming, and counselors. But I was just, I'm going to say that with time running out, I made a few phone calls and I received a few phone calls and we got it to happen here. So things like that. Having national tournaments here brings some exposure and awareness, money to the community. Um I'm not sure if everybody locally knows this, but there is, you know, since we've had Republic of Doyle and then we had Frontier, Cot, Little Dog, now we've got Hudson and Rex, we got the Surrealtor, we got even Peter Pan being filmed here. <coughs> so in the last, say, 10 to 20 years for sure, there's been a real boost um, when it comes to the arts industry, and that's largely our our provincial, federal, and municipal governments helping with that as much as they can. It's been exposure. Um, I know it's cost efficient to a lot of the uh, uh, filmmakers that come from other countries and other provinces. And it's convenient. So we we have a studio in Mount Pearl. I don't even know if people realize that. And we use it a lot with, say, Hudson and Rex and, and other shows, but it's mainly being used for that now. But Things like that, you know, I, it's part of my living is made in the uh, film industry and I try to get films here. 
you know, and concerts, whatever it might be. Those bring revenue exposure to the community. They're fun events for the community. You know, the, the, you know what I'm all about. I don't, th- I, I'm preaching to the choir. Anybody tuning into this listening probably doesn't need to be convinced of what I can and can't do. Um, things that I don't have experience in, you know, you just gain experience and you learn from others. And uh, that's what other counselors, deputy mayors, mayors, you know, people that work everything from secretaries to public servants to constituents that just want to chat. You know, there's a lot that goes into it and I don't claim to know everything now, but I do think I could do a good job as a city councilor. I've done enough homework and hey, it remains to be seen, but hey, if you're listening to this and you're from Mount Pearl, I believe you get six votes. Why not uh, cast one of them for me? I promise I will try my hardest. And if nothing else, if nothing else, anywhere that I've been and anywhere I've worked, and I count hockey playing in that, and any group I've been involved with, um, not only sports, you know, a business environment, you can just do your homework there. If, if, if you're not sure, I, I don't want to go down a resume here and give you every place I've ever worked. But I, I think generally people would say I work hard and I try to work with a team that those are my strengths. And, and I think, and, and listening, you know, and you never say it by the amount I talk on here, but Hey, you're tuning in to, to listen to me, aren't you? But you know, listening's part of it. And it, Hey, I, I think they're all in my wheelhouse. I think I could do it. Um, Stay tuned. I got some great volunteers so far. I only announced this uh, 24 hours ago, and I've had some awesome donations and volunteers. I don't have a campaign campaign team yet, but it looks like I'm slowly putting one together. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Thanks to everybody that responded, and thanks in advance to everybody that will vote and has confidence in me. It's much appreciated. So just just a I, I, I don't know why I, I, I got to mention this though. So I go into Canadian tire the other day and I'm looking for a fishing rod. So my daughter and I are going camping uh, tonight and tomorrow being Wednesday and Thursday, uh, a little place called butter pot, maybe 20 minutes outside St. John's. So we're going to come back. We're just going to go out and she's never stayed in a tent overnight. And, and we're going to try that out. I got a couple of tents. She's going to take a friend. I got a buddy coming, Gary, the shark Clark. They might, Friends I grew up with, no Gary. Um, anyway, so I wanted to do an upgrade on one of my fishing rods and, you know, maybe get some camping gear. I haven't been camping in a while, day camping, but, and I have a little tent for just me when I go hiking and stuff, but I haven't really done the whole cook up, you know, marshmallows, whatever it might be, fishing, you know, board games, uh, you know, just whatever goes with camping, right? I like it. I haven't done it in a long time other than by myself. So anyway, I go in and I'm looking at these rods. So, and you know, this guy is, I know he's not a professional fisherman, but he works at Canadian Tire. So, you know, I I guess don't ask me if I need help if you can't help me. So anyway, he says, do you need some help? I'm like, yes, I do. Do you know anything about fishing rods? Well, he says, yes, I do. I know a lot about them. I said, okay. So I give him the specs, like here's, basically what I want, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly fishing for trout here. It's Newfoundland. I'm not going to go up tomorrow, get a ticket to Alberta and start fishing for jack fish up in Grand Prairie or 
pickerel or whatever they are. I'm not, I'm not buying it for that reason. I, I'm, I'm thinking if I get a huge fish, it's four or five pounds. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking trout, rainbow trout, brown trout for the most part. Um, people ask me about salmon fishing that don't live here. Well, you can't salmon fish here with a spinning rod, right? And you also can't have, there, there, there's a whole, no, you need to use a fly rod and that's the, the that's just the start of um, the rules in, in catching salmon here. You can't have any barb on the hook, no bait or anything like that. So uh, it's, um, it's an adventure, but salmon fishing is much ahead of my skill level right now. I've gone fly fishing. I've never caught a salmon. There's specific rivers here and there's, there's a whole sport to it. And those who don't know, um, and, and pipe in once in a while when they see me out trout fishing, it's a completely different animal. So anyway, I'm just going trout fishing. So I need, you know, a decent rod. So I, I don't know. I'm just going in prices. I'm going, if this one's $39 and this one's $100, this one's probably better. So I'm looking. So I got like a $30 rod, a $50 rod, like a $70 rod, $120 rod. And I, I'm going, okay. So I, I asked them, I say, I know that these must be different levels a fishing rod being that the cheapest is, is the worst. The most expensive is the best. That's what I'm guessing. He says, well, kind of. And I said, well, what's a good one? He said, well, this one here, he points out one for like $79. I'm not going to give you the brand name, but it did seem good, but it didn't seem any better than the $39 one. So I said, well, what makes this better? You know, what is, does it spin? Is it longer line? Is it tougher line? You know, does it... Uh, is it easier to spin, uh, whatever you call that, you know, when you reel it in, is it easier to reel? Um, does the, the color, like, what, what is it? What, what am I paying for here? So he said, well, I'm sure this one might be better. And I said, well, it's not really an answer. He says, well, I'm sure this one might be better. I'm like, well, you're sure it might be better. So now I got to get into a semantics argument with them or debate or whatever you want to say. But I said, well, you could take sure out of that sentence, couldn't you? It might be better. So I could tell you it might be better. You know, that girl over there could tell you it might be better. She's shopping for looks like utensils in the kitchen. Right? Technically, I mean, this guy over here looking for golf clubs, he could tell me that this fishing rod might be better. But you're sure it might be better. He said, well, yeah, because I'm the salesman and I'm sure it might be better. <laughs> I'm still saying that doesn't mean jack shit. What do you mean you're sure it might be better? I'm sure it might be better. I need to hear you say I'm sure it's better. Might has nothing to do with it. I'm the customer saying I know it might be better, but that doesn't matter. The word sure doesn't belong in that sentence. Anyway. I end up having to leave because we got in an argument about semantics, but I still stick with it. If he had said, yeah, this might be better or, Hey, I'm sure it might be better. What the hell is the difference in that? You know, just that you're positive. You're, you're 100% positive that it might be better. I, I just don't even think that makes any sense really. Or at the very least it makes sense but you could take half the sentence out and it would still make sense. It might be better is a fact. So I guess I'm sure everybody's sure it might be better. My, my cat is sure it might be better. 
You're not really telling me anything there. Anyway, the guy knew who I was because he was talking about hockey. I don't know if he listens to my podcast, but if you do, I'm sticking with it, man. That's my story. Basically, you didn't say the need to say the word sure. Problem number one, which isn't really a problem. It's like an episode of Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. But it got us to debating and it got me to walk out. But the other thing is, I appreciate that you want to help. I do. But you can't. Right. I really appreciate that you want to help. And I know that you're giddy and you're sitting there and you're going, hey, sir, like I want to help in it. But you can't. So I don't care if, if you're sure it might be better. You don't know much about fishing rods. It's all good. Just be, I get it. Just because you put on the Canadian tire golf shirt and black pants and a name tag doesn't mean all of a sudden, you know, every single thing about everything in that store. Right. I want bubble bath. I don't know. It's bubble bath. I don't expect you to be an expert. If I got a question on it, though, and you're not, don't tell me you are. Uh, there's all I can go down every single thing that's available in Canadian Tire, and nobody on earth is going to be an expert on all of it. So you don't have to be ashamed. Just don't. I'm a customer. There's $40 difference in between the $39 rod and the $79 rod, right? So if you don't know what the difference is, and I'm a customer that needs to know, either just say it and I'll go get somebody else or I'll just go. It's a Google search while I'm sitting there. It's no problem. Anyway, maybe I'm a cynical old bastard. I don't know why it bothered me so much, but it just did. And I guess in the end, it was more about the fact that he wouldn't admit that sure didn't belong in the sentence. Anyway, that's me. I can be a dick sometimes. But uh, yeah, it, anyway, take from that what you will. Um, I got to ask everybody again, please just ease up on the forwards. And I know that I love that people have a sense of humor. I'd like to, th I'd like to think I have a decent sense of humor, but I've got a lot going on right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm busy almost every minute of the day is taken up. Um, whether it's my daughter's soccer, it's selling books or working for TJ's pub or running for council now uh, or promoting this podcast or doing the research for the podcast or acting or being on the film crew, being a dad, all those things I got to go through like every week. You know, those are things that I'm doing almost every day. I'm not on the film set today, but this week I'm the uh, consultant on Hudson and Rex because they're doing a hockey episode, right? And I go in a few days next week, do a stunt, get a few buddies together. It's going to be it's going to be a good time, uh, but it, but it's work, right? It's I don't have time to go down and I get enough mail and everything else uh, on social media that I just don't have time to, to look at the forwards and they might be funny guys. They might be, but I just don't have the time in the day. So I apologize again. I've said this before, but it just keeps, maybe people are mocking me by sending them. I don't know, but I get like hundreds. Right. And I, and I, I just, it's hard for me to go through and then I got to like get book orders and the messages opened up and I got to go back and oh, who sent me that message? And you know, Oh God. Okay. Maybe it was this person. And I look and it's just like a picture of, I don't know, LeBron dunking on somebody with a meme, you know, or, or a hockey fight that I've seen 15 times already this week from like 1997. 
I get it. It's all good. It's it's good sports humor, hockey humor. It's interactive. It's communicating. It might be good for certain people in mental health capacity to forward that stuff and laugh and everything. I'm just saying for me, it's just a stressor. It's just in the way. Right. And I, I don't mean that I won't interact or, or try to answer each and every message, but time is precious, at least right now in this particular time in my life. And, um, yeah, I don't have time for forwards. If nothing else, I don't have time for those. Uh, but I don't want to be cynical. Most messages are great and people only mean the best and they're only supportive for the vast majority of you. And I really, really do appreciate that. I think the reason I'm saying this is because I feel so bad that I, I don't get back to you, right? I'm going, geez, how do I do this? And if I had, if I hit like, then you, it just encourages sending me another one. So I'm just trying to blanket conversation here, blanket statement. Please don't send me forwards. Um, especially if I've never met you before. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's just hard. It's hard to keep track. Uh, but outside of that, a lot of reasons to be positive. My, my daughter is really, really enjoying her soccer experience this summer. Um, it's great. She's got some great coaches. Uh, I use the word great too much, by the way. She's got some fantastic coaches and teammates and, uh, they won a tournament recently. It was just nice. It, it was honestly, it was nice. You know, it was their first all-star win, you know, under 11, it's starting, they're starting to become young women now. And, you know, team, it was Mount Pearl and they played CBS and, and St. John's and paradise and all the, uh, all the, best teams in the province that I know of. We couldn't really travel out West to Cornerbrook yet. That'll come next year because of COVID. But you know, what I'm saying is that it was competition and they won, which was real nice to see. But overall, what I was happy about was it was called Sunsplash in paradise. And there was teams from all over. It was, um, you know, when I say all over, I mean, not just under 11 girls, it was under 13, under 15 girls. It was also under 11, uh, 13, 15 boys and any team around, uh, you know, around at least the Avalon Peninsula here in Newfoundland attended. So it was, you know, and there was uh, food trucks and there was real great weather and there was a buzz. And honestly, I got goosebumps. I got tears in my eyes just seeing humanity come together again. We're all going in different stages of this, uh, stages of this all over the world. I mean, you know, watching the NHL playoffs in TV, that was months ago, right? And, and Burns being packed. And here in Newfoundland, like I said, we, we've had a pretty good time, but the, I don't want to say pretty easy because people did pass away, but you know, we weren't affected at our peak, like everywhere else. I'll say we really, our, our government and the people here locally did a, a fantastic job in uh, bottling up the virus as best we could and limiting its spread and, you know, living life. Uh, but, you know, the mask mandate has been there for a year or more. So, you know, I'm just pumped to see not only the masks be lift, but lifted, but everybody outside enjoying life again, you know, and, and live guitars and, you know, soccer and not just the competition, but the social aspect, you know, like it's nice to see it or, or, you know, two players go for a 50, 50 ball, one get 
cracked off nearly right a yellow card be called fans get into it yelling at the ref whatever you know i like that it's interaction it's not all going to be positive but the situation in general is a positive one seeing people get back out there and live man and live um it's been hard and uh the last thing i'll say is you know because of that hardship that mental hardship over the last year or two you know a lot of people have things going on that add mental stress for one reason or another. And I talk about it a lot and I know people have anxiety and some people have ongoing. Okay. So for me, when I say anxiety, I don't always mean that I sit there like in a room. It doesn't always go with depression. It does sometimes, but when I say anxiety, okay, when I look at Instagram or any social media, but let's just say Instagram and it's positive stuff. Like I'm looking at people say my buddy, Justin Barber is uh, traveling across Newfoundland, you know, with a kayak, you know, and his dog Saku. And um, actually the, he's got a great feed. Check that out. The Newfoundland Explorer. But anyway, you know, I'll see him doing his thing. And then I'll see maybe some of Penny Lane's friends up swimming in manuals or wherever. And then I'll see my buddies playing ball hockey or people out hiking. And it's just, it's so much positivity that I get anxiety about, not doing it all. Like, uh, even if I pick one, which I often do, sorry, I get the hiccups. Um, I want to, there's so much going on that it's almost overwhelming. It's like when I go down to George Street Festival, it's going to happen here at the end of August. Usually it's at the beginning or, or the regatta. You know, these festivals or, or concerts, I'm, especially the festivals actually, because there's so many bars involved. And I always think like, you know, where are my buddies? I know that there's all kinds. Every time I go to George Street Festival, I run into people. I ran into Danny Cleary the other day on George Street, uh, back to do his, uh, doing his hockey school, having a bite to eat. It was great to run into Danny and have a conversation. Then you'll go to the next um, bar and there's all kinds of buddies from either your childhood or senior hockey or wherever it is. It's always a good time. I just, I never feel like content. Even when I get into somewhere, we're on TJ's patio say, and you know, I've, you know, run into four or five real good buddies. Like an hour won't go by. And then I'm like, you know, I wonder, why don't we all go over to Trinity and see if Mike Manning and, 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 you know, maybe hockey fans don't know Michael Ryder say I'll be over there or, uh, you know, let's go back to bull and barrel and see if Tino's playing live. It's like that, which is, this is all positive stuff, right? Like it, I'm, I just get overwhelmed with the, I don't know if it's what, if it's a positive vibe or, there's just so much happening that it gives me anxiety. So that kind of anxiety is hard to get over, right? So you just got to roll with the punches. What I often do, like I said, is, is write or do this podcast or something like that. But, you know, there's not always an answer. For those of you out there that are wondering, you know, lots of people feel like that. Um, for me, again, my day-to-day experience involves anxiety. It's not always bad. It's just uncontrollable. I often, okay, there's seven nights in a week. Well, guaranteed one of those nights I don't sleep. I mean, I don't sleep, okay? I mean, I don't sleep. I don't put my head down and my eyes close, but they don't sleep. I get up an hour later. I know the drill. Break out the pen and paper because I'm like, I'm I'm not going to get to sleep. I'm not going to. You know, I, I don't need to look at things that worry me right now, like bills or emails that are unanswered. Or So I'll just relax and I'll write something and maybe it turns into a chapter of a book. Maybe it turns into an idea like running for city council. But 
I'm here to admit to you that I don't always answer the problem. It doesn't always get fixed. I know that I live with it and I turn it into to a positive. And uh, when I'm tired, I get tired. Don't worry. There's often a four hour nap and I know that my mind is settling down. But um, that's nothing unique. And I think the, the pandemic, honestly, for a lot of us just kind of brought some anxiety out that you know, where all of a sudden my positive anxiety turned into negative because I didn't have as many outlets, you know. Anyway, anyway, I just wanted to say that I think it's normal. And it, I mean, what, what is normal though, right? What's normal? I don't even like the word normal because everybody is so different on so many levels. It's hard. It's a hard word to define. But um, let's just say, don't feel alone, right? Because that that's real real common and and i think as humans we're predisposed to a level of anxiety that's why we got here that's what evolution is people that ten thousand years ago right they were hoping that they didn't wake up and their kid got eaten by a lion they still love their kids right it was not as much technology clearly but you know it, and because of that anxiety we learned how to live and beat the lion or to live away from the lion or, or to build and to have agriculture because of the anxiety. We don't have enough food. Now we learn how to build fields with, with agriculture. We learn how to irrigate. Uh, we learned how to plant seeds, watch them grow and organize that, right? All that is based on some form of anxiety. So just to survive that instinct that got you here is the one that, you worry about now, but it's just part of being human, part of being a, a, a functioning human, right? It's normal shit. It's just that now we don't have to worry about getting eaten by that lion, right? But we do have to worry about losing our job. So, or, or whatever it might be, or an injury or a loved one, or, you know, whatever it might be. But anyway, it's normal shit. Sorry to ramble. Be back in two shakes of a lamb's tail with PJ Stock. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest hails from Montreal, Quebec, and after lighting up junior and university hockey, played over 500 professional hockey games, including 235 in the best damn league on the planet. He played for four classic NHL teams, the Rangers, Habs, Flyers, and Bruins, and amassed 523 penalty minutes in the process. Known as one of the toughest pound-for-pound players of his era, he stayed in the game post-retirement in the way of broadcasting and in the mid-2000s began hosting the Stock Exchange on Montreal's Team 990. He went on to become a colorful TV personality on shows like Hockey Night in Canada and Battle of the Blades. We went at it a couple of times in the late 90s, and I'm not sure who won, but I'll tell you this, there were a lot of punches thrown. He is a wonderful winger, a respected ranger, a dynamite dad, a humorous human, a feisty flyer, a hard-nosed hab, a battle-tested Bruin, and a bodacious broadcaster. He was a tough bloke back in Pembroke. He would score and fight on any given night. His legend only grew when he starred in the queue. What did he do next? He played at X. Wouldn't you know, he then made the show. He chirped with wit and played with grit. When he got slower, not faster, he became a broadcaster. He used black tape and still stays in shape. He's from Montreal. I'm from The Rock. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, PJ Stock. PJ, how the hell are you doing? I don't know if the show's going to get any better than that intro. So I don't know <laughs> what 
my, my when I um, when I first uh, quick thing Hockey Night in Canada, they used to do my buddy Tim Thompson used to do the openings for Hockey Night in Canada. They were the wow. best openings for any show for anything. It was about a minute and a half. Play some music and some highlights, you know, happy music, slow music, whatever. But every time that was done, I'm like, there's six hours of TV left. We're not topping what just happened. We should just go home. After that intro, that's how I feel right now. You that, are. Was, that was brilliant. You know what? Um, well, that, that's it. You're an, you're an easy guy to uh, do a bio on. Um, a, because I know you and most of what you did was... Uh, you know, in, in the NHL where all eyes are on the NHL and the hockey world. But going back to Tim Thompson, mm, going back to Tim Thompson, I think the same. I think it's brilliant. For those out there that don't know, Google it. He used to do the videos at the start of the game. So if you liked Hockey Night in Canada and you weren't sure why, and sometimes, you know, that was just part of it, it was almost osmosis. You'd be like, man, that was a good presentation. And it all went back to the package at the beginning. And it would give me goosebumps. I was crying more than once watching. And then all of a sudden, you know, it'd, it'd go into the start of the game. It was almost anticlimactic, especially if it was a bad game. Yeah. Totally. So that, and that's that's what this next hour is going to be, because after you just stole the show, <laughs> I mean, I know it's easy to rhyme some stuff with stock, but besides that, everything else was well thought. Very well hey, done. The hardest was Padolan, Jason Padolan. I can't remember what I came up with there. I'm going to start not where you think. Tell me about this camp, Tamara Kuda. I'm looking at your Instagram post, and it reminds me of a bad 80s movie that uh, shows a little bit of nudity to keep you keep you watching, you know, <laughs> like one of those, like Up the, up the River or one of those uh, about was... band camp. Uh, what is it? It says you used to work there or, yeah, take yeah. us through. I was a lifeguard back in the day at a, at a I mean, times are so different but cub scouts and boy scouts and all that were way you know part of our life back in the day and i was actually they have a, a big camp up here in quebec and uh it's it's on a lake half of a lake and I, I was a lifeguard there my cousin was there before i went for two years and he pretty much I, one of the pictures i put was the cabin that i lived it's so funny man 14 15 16 16 uh you're in a cabin with another guy and, and then you're Every morning, and you're, you know, regular kind of lifeguard duties, but you were there kind of all day. It was a cool thing. But one of the stories that I was telling my kids is that the people were allowed to bathe in the lake back then. So, uh, and, what do you and mean back then, there's a ban on bathing in the lake. Well, it's just, I don't know. No, like you bring your soap and shampoo down, and it was like a little area. Okay. Yeah, the lifeguard had to make sure it was all biodegradable, and, and the other lifeguard would be raking the beach. And this, so they have to be there for like 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and I would, uh, you know, get up, you have to have your, you know, get dressed, get down there for six or the campers can't go in the water. Um, and the bait, the beach had to be raked. Well, and I, I never made it for 6am, like never made it. <laughs> so a, the one lifeguard would stand there. The two had to be there. And we're like a team of like eight. The beach wouldn't get raked because the one lifeguard had to stand on duty. The boss would find out, get pissed, come back and, at noon, after everyone, the, the, the lake would shut down on, on the Boy Scout side. Um, you weren't allowed to use that half of it. They'd drive us all out to the middle of the lake, drop us off, and say, swim back. And that was kind of the punishment that we had to do all the time. And it was almost always because of me. Because I'm not, I, for those that know me, I am not a morning guy. So it was, I was bringing my kids, showing the, the cabin that I stayed in. 
where I worked and the punishment that I brought on to, uh, to many of my coworkers. But wow. How far yeah. outside of Montreal is it? But an, uh, but an hours, uh, but an hour for those that around Montreal, it'd be a little, uh, Lachute area. I guess you can say for some people, if you're, uh, around Montreal, kind of a little parallel to the ski hills that a lot of people know up in, in St. Sever and Morin Heights that way, but a little parallel to that. So great experience. It was, uh, you know, back then Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts were something that I, I don't think they're as popular as they are today. Obviously there's been some backlash on a lot of it. Uh, but for me, it was a, a great tool to help with a lot of things. You know, you learn tons of like, I, I try and teach my kids about camping and stuff like that, but they have a cottage. It's like, it's yeah. just so different now. And, and, and uh, that stuff was so much fun for me growing up. That's, I don't know why it intrigues me so much. I looked, it did, it, and I'm not kidding. It reminds me of an 80s movie. Maybe that's why it was the subject of so many 80s movies, because it was big. I do know what you're talking about. Those camps went on the go all the time. Uh, Boy Scouts, I was in it a couple of years, learned how to make a fire and all that. Like, ah. it was almost like a rite of passage for us. Now, you got to sure. seek it out almost, right? right. Gotta, everybody tried it out. I remember, you know, the basic survival skills, like, you know, you're, the way it was, Put, right. put put on me was our teachers like you know you learn these things then it was like a bit of fun we'd all go out and we learned how to camp overnight we went to butter pot where ironically i'm going tomorrow with my daughter but anyway yeah i don't know why it's so intriguing to me um, how old are you by the way what's that she's a soccer superstar she loves soccer the way you know people often ask me about when i got into hockey when my dad coached the junior team right so i had all this extra ice time and Penny Lane is into some of the, you know, she does a bit of acting, but you know, again, she, cause she was hanging around with me on crew a lot of the time, but if I had her and I was, you know, I didn't mind taking her around if I had her. I mean, if, if her mom was working, you know, I'd take her to work. I'll take her to the film set. And the same thing with soccer. I like hanging around and I played all growing up. So I go and often watch the games in the summer. And uh, to me, I, I wanted her to play a team sport, but I, uh, it didn't matter what it was. I, I love soccer though. I, you know, and any sport like hockey, like it, it's it, it's truly I, I do find that you're learning attributes that help you on and off the ice, just like a soccer game. You're, you're, you're going out there, you know, the other night, they're only 11, but they were out there diving around because their goalie was going for a shutout. Right. And that's the right. definition. There's there's what it is. It's not it's not all about winning and losing. Of course, it's about having fun. But there is there's a level of compete where you're like, you know, like, come on, uh, Abby's got a shutout going here. You know, let's not blow it for her now. And that there is a microcosm of the reason I wanted to play sports. It's it's kind of uh, funny you say that, but it's and now a lot of it. And I don't mean this in the wrong way. If I offend somebody, I'm sorry. But it, too much of the parenting today is it's it's only about fun. But there, you, you have to teach some of that compete. Like yeah. you, you have to teach like the, the sacrifices that you have to make to win. Losing sucks. You got to learn that losing sucks, and and the to, to be good, the effort that goes into winning, um, and and that's why team sports is so great because you're not only responsible for yourself, you got to help push others. You win as a group, you lose as a group. Uh, the importance of of pulling your weight uh, as a team, uh, the you know of picking up a partner when they're down. Uh, there's so much that are uh, I think team sports, and as a parent like yourself. Uh, it's so important that we get our kids into those because there's so many life lessons that get taught in these sports that they don't even know, but it kind of like every day is a lesson for them. And something just might pop a couple of years later that they can bring back to a moment in sports that they had when they were younger. 
Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the team part I find important because I often, and you know, I, I excelled at team sports, but I, again, I think it was just a good group of buddies and we played. Yeah. I mean, as opposed to the single sports, but I, I wasn't intrigued by it. I remember looking at like a real good friend of mine, Adrian Costello. I went to school, like not anymore. I haven't talked to him in years, but when I went to school, grade school, he was a great swimmer, tall, thin, and like the best in town. And, but he was the best. And I swear to you, he never, he always looked stressed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that as you get older, there are swim teams and things and you go to competitions together, but he just looks stressed and we'd all be having a laugh, right? Be, same thing. Now I'm not saying that we're not when we're in the com competition and you're, go but I can look at my buddy, Jeremy and go, holy shit, man, like this place is sold out. Let's do it. You know, there's, there's ways. And, and so you're, you're doing it together. I think is much more healthy for the mind now competitive nature, whatever, you're a good swimmer. I'm not putting it down, but I'm just telling you why I gravitated to team sports. And I think you agree. I totally agree. And it's interesting. It's you mentioned the team sports and I'm, I'm big in that in my family. And I, it's ironically the time in our regard talking today in the subject, you know, we just had Simone, Simone Biles come out with, uh, you know, with, with her situation. And I, I find there, there isn't that the, a lot of the individual competition, it's, it, it falls on you. A lot of that loss yeah. falls on you. A lot of that win also falls on you. But you put a lot of, 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 of uh, struggles on yourself at all. I think a team sport sometimes, and there's the same problems, in the, not problems, um, uh, issues sometimes with a lot of team sports as well. But it does, the, the, the buck is passed a little. You can kind of pass, you know, share yeah. some of the stuff. It does help a, a, a little, I find, yeah. um, where... I have a lot of friends, like you mentioned, uh, divers, uh, gymnasts, gymnasts. I know the figure skating world really well. Um, and there's a lot of individual pressure uh, that you put on yourself when things don't go as well. And it, 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 it accumulates over time. And that's where I love the team stuff, just because yeah, you're down sometimes and you have someone that could help you up. When, you're, when you are up, and it's, there's also people that are like, ah, come right. back. You're, you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's kind of what, you, what we need. Um, All right. So now you're from Montreal. A, A, how did you make your way into Pembroke? I was surprised at this and I knew you could play. I knew years ago, I knew you had points. Like I remember playing exhibition against you. I knew who you were coming in. I played against guys. I knew you had a lot of points, a lot of penalty minutes. Um, but I, I didn't realize that you went to Pembroke, which, which is in Ontario. Yeah. Um, so I wanted and, to, and, you know, that was, a no, 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 keep going. But, but how you got there is one thing, but 73 points, 262 minutes, first year junior. That's also pretty big. So tell us the whole story. And I was defense. So no um, way. Yeah. I, I played, I only went to forward. Uh, when I played pro, that was my second year ever playing forward. Are so, you, are you kidding me right now? PJ, a, how did I not know this? And B, are you kidding? Those numbers were as a D man. Holy shit. I was an offensive defenseman and a terrible forward but wow. uh quick story i was uh my buddy brad purdy uh growing up I remember he that. was told i mean his dad was my coach mr purdy sandy purdy and he coached me i was playing um i didn't make the midget triple a team that year which was kind of back then there was only one triple a league it was midget now there's triple a's and there's quadruple a everyone plays a now uh, but back then there was one league mid triple a pretty much all in canada and uh i didn't make the team and uh, I was kind of like, I had this dream in my head. I never thought I'd play a game of the pro ever, but I want to go to the school in the States. I grew up watching Notre Dame football on Saturdays with yeah. my dad and my brother. And that was, 
you know, the dream was scholarship to the States. That's just kind of the way it worked. And so my coach at the time, Sandy Purdy, uh, was coaching me in Midget AA, and his son just was playing in Weyburn, Saskatchewan. And Brad just got a scholarship to the University of Maine. And the coach of the, the, of the Weyburn uh, Red Wings calls up Sandy and be like, listen, I can, your son's awesome. He's going, but I'd love some more kids like your son from your area. He was a great kid. Is there any guys that you recommend? So Mr. Purdy calls up my parents, like, listen, PJ, there's someone I'm going to recommend. He's coming in to see you. Um, if you're willing to do this, this is a great place for you to grow. And I get myself all ready to, to, to go to Weyburn because he's coming in to see me play in like a, a midsummer tournament or it was more like, yeah, like back then, like August. And, um, you know, my parents were getting ready to go to Saskatchewan, get myself all ready. And the guy comes in to watch my team play at, at this event. And post game, he brought five of my buddies out there and another goalie to another team. And he didn't break me. He didn't bring me. I, I was the one guy that he's like, oh, no, that kid sucks. That kid sucks. So I had my, I was just, think of devastating. You know, I was so prepared and mentally prepared to go uh, to Weyburn that and then it just fell on me like oh man this sucks but I still had uh, at the event there was other teams that were there and uh, they uh, they got me in touch and reached out and it ended up being to Pembroke because back then in Quebec a lot of the American schools didn't come into Montreal all, all that often because it was very francophone so you had to kind of go out uh, way, uh, the SJHL which is the Saskatchewan yeah. Junior High was a popular league um, you guys playing out east you bounced out there as well uh, I had to go to uh, uh, Ontario and the Ontario one was Pembroke that I ended up going to and they had like it's all around the Ottawa area there's a few leagues in, in yeah, Ontario yeah, yeah. so I, I, I played in that one like you you left at what 14? 14 I went out to yeah. the Rocky Mountain League and then the B turned into the BCJ and uh, yeah. it was a big scholarship league the BCJ you but that's that's a crazy sacrifice like yeah. you're going all the way across the country i was going an hour and a half and i was like this is crazy you were, you were going it, it still would have been crazy i just went for it still honestly it would have been crazy if i went to pei and my the way in my mind and and there was no internet there was no globalization of that oh. so quinell could have been charlottetown like I, I i just felt cut off by getting on the plane but that's 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 it in newfoundland right it, it's you got to get used to that and it's it's it's, it's an extra level to that you know, because you know when you're gone, you're gone. I can't get in my car, no matter how, no matter if something bad happens here, and I'm upset, and I just want to go see mom and dad. Especially at 14, you're, you, you know, there is a, I miss my buddies, but I really wanted to see my parents. Sure. So they ended up moving out, but, um, you know, you don't really have that luxury. But that's just geography, really. No cell phones, no, like you know, like no, if yeah, you I know. Call, someone wasn't home, and back then the, the double line didn't come in for a while either. So if you called and the line was busy, you're like. I wanted to see mom. I wanted it's to talk crazy. To like, are we like, I often look and like, I used to look at my grandfather and go like, oh man, like, you know, at first, like he didn't even have a TV and then it was like black and white. Like, wow. But I mean, we must seem ancient to a 20 year old now. We might like, think about it, man. Not, I was writing letters. Now, you know, I, every, lots of people still write letters, but I mean, out of necessity, I, like right. you said, I couldn't phone, phone bills were high. I couldn't phone all my buddies. They'd, it'd often be busy if anybody had any brothers or sisters you couldn't get through and i would rely on snail mail and i you know but it, it, and it, it, indirectly it probably led to me writing more but but i don't know like that that was literally i was out in quinella i might as well have been on mars like it felt like i was on another planet you know 
Well, you're writing paid off, but because the intro again, back to the intro. Will really- <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that in the middle and at the end. <laughs> yeah, play it all day. Um, so are you telling me then, okay, so because your Pembroke numbers are insane, then you go to the, you, you end up picking the queue. So now, how did 18, that happen if you wanted to go to college? 17, 18 at Pembroke. And uh, I have a couple of offers to school, but of course, in your head, you're like, I want to go to Harvard. I want to like that. Once you yeah. get a, a couple of schools interested in you, you now want the next level of schools, you totally. know, and, and, and it just kind of, I got a little excited. And then my, you know, at the summer of 18, 19, I was talking to a few schools, but my parents realized that I, I don't know if I was mature enough to go to the States. Like it's, it's one thing to be a province away, to be a country away. I know it's not even that far, but it's just, and the I culture is different. The culture, and, say what you want, it's a bit different. So uh, we thought about it. My brother was a real good player, played mid to AAA, and he was going to be drafted. And he was thinking uh, he had a representation back then, which I obviously did not. He had representation, and he was he was hopefully going to be drafted by, uh, supposedly Hall was going to try and draft him, or Laval. And those are both, you know, Hall's near Ottawa and Laval's near Montreal. And then what they were talking about is if they draft Dean, my brother, will PJ come play for us? And PJ can still go to university at these at these English schools yeah. and we'll we'll pay for everything. Um, you know, Halifax was just coming into the league uh, back then. So but it was Hall and Laval were kind of the two teams going to draft my brother. And um, I'm like we, my, my parents and I, we sat down and we're like, hey, play with my brother. I know I'm not going anywhere, but here they're still going to pay my university. It's the same thing, yeah. you know, half a six of another. It's not the States, but it's Canada and, and whatever. Well, well, I get drafted by Victoriaville, which is just, there's no English school there. There's, there's just, but uh, we talked it over to play hockey with your brother, you know, was, was kind of something that we always wanted to do, but because we were a year and a half apart, but birthday wise, it was two years of hockey. We never had the opportunity to play. So anyways, we both make the Victoriaville junior team. And I think that's for me, hockey wise, where things kind of uh, took off a little, because as you know, playing that junior style, not everyone fits in, but if you do fit in, you can learn a lot and grow a lot as a person, as you know, the success that you went have, you go from rookie of the year to, you got rookie there to most improved, to draft in the first round, pretty much. Like you got from here, most improved to it's a lot of things that it's a league that some people can really excel in and I, and some people kind of get lost in it. And that was the, probably the smartest decision I ever made was to go there. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know. So defense. now you're not playing defense. Are you at this time? Yeah, still defense. So these numbers I'm looking at, first of all, 386 penalty minutes and then 432 while putting up just around a point a game both years. Not just around, I mean around a point a game. You're, you're, you're 95, 96, 62 points with 432 minutes. So what all four junior years, Pembroke combined, I'm really surprised that you weren't being... <sighs> I'm not saying not scouted, but at least approached by more teams. And in, in, I mean, how did, when you're putting up these numbers, are you getting approached by NHL teams now or, or pro teams or are people no, interested? Defense of 5'10", like 170 pounds back then, right? So in a different time, right? And yeah. then uh, I just, I 
didn't have, you didn't fit it like today, 175, 10, my God, you're, you're the second tallest player on the Canadians. <laughs> uh, you know, there, it's just, you know, Cole Caulfield stepping in at five, seven, 160, maybe. Yeah. Um, and it's of course, of course the game's completely different and everything, but it's just, a, it was a different time. So I just, um, I got a tryout uh, after my last year pearl with the New York Rangers. And uh, yeah, actually funny, the last part of my 20 year old year, I ended up having uh, we had a kid on our team named Daniel Corso. Yeah, that was uh, really good offensively, but he'd get picked on. So he was a second, I think a second round pick by the St. Louis Blues. And I was a guy who read my stat, my stats, my penalty minutes were a little bit higher. But they decided to play me with him on the wing just to try and, you know, they thought, hey, PJ gets points from the back end. Maybe he can also get points from the front end and try and create some space for Daniel Corso. But what they soon realized is that Daniel's going this way with the puck. PJ was going that way. Then, then PJ's going this way. Now, Daniel's, I couldn't keep up with the good guys. I was too shit, too slow. Couldn't turn to my right. Uh, so they decided, but they liked me at forward because now I can, I played as a center as like a third defense. So I now go against the other team's best forwards and try and shut them down yeah. and try and offense. Couple months in, uh, in, in Victoriaville as a forward. And that led to, I got a training camp with the, uh, the New York Rangers as, as a forward and a bunch of Canadian universities reached out. And uh, St. FX is the one that I eventually chose, but I said, I want to go, but I want to go as a forward. Like a lot of the schools wanted me as a defenseman, wow. but I, I decided I wanted to go. So I played a couple months forward. I played a year at, actually, I went to that training camp in, in, in New York and I got sent down to Binghamton. This is my, and they're like, we want to sign you to a contract. And I seriously thought I was being punked. And like, there's no cell phone to call home. Yeah. He, this, I'm like, I don't want to sign this. I want to go back to school. And he's like, no, no, no. We want you to sign this. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to go back to school. Like, I never thought I'd play a day because these, these Daniel Corsos of the world, Cosmo DePaul's, all these guys on my team that were first, second, third round picks were so much better than I was. And yet they're not getting a crack in the NHL or the American hockey. So I'm thinking I'm never again. I just want the money from junior to go to school. And they're signing me to like this, you know, NHL, American League, East Coast League, Mexican League, which when they, when they added that in, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to make it anywhere. So I, I wanted to go back to school, but they, again, they're sitting in your room and they're putting a paper in front of you and they're like, sign this. And I was shitting my pants. I was, I was like, what, like, how do I get out of here? So I had, I finally got out. Where's your agent? I was <laughs> Alan Walsh and David Shadia. So, so yeah, but I'm, they also have a million other players and they yeah. don't have. Yeah. I know what you mean they, there. Yeah. They don't have cell phones either. So now if they're on the line with another player, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I call my mom, like we said yeah. before, like mom, they're like, well, get out of the building and wait until you get a hold of your agent. Anyway, so I got out, uh, I left and uh, went to St. FX. They called again at Christmas, try to sign me again. And uh, six months later, I was playing for the New York Rangers. That, that, now this, okay. So this is what gets me. And by the way, what blows me away is that I've seen those kind of numbers. They're very rare, those junior numbers you had, like Matthew Barnaby type stuff, like a lot yeah. of points and then a, a crazy amount of penalty minutes. But I've never seen a defenseman. Like, 
I'm, I'm thinking of our, our Western League was was real tough, as you know, like at the time in the 90s. And say Nolan Baumgartner played for Kamloops. He didn't have the time to spend 400 minutes in the box. You know, he was he wasn't going out there looking for fights either. But, you know, same kind of numbers. But I just find Brian McCabe. There you go. Real tough guy. But in junior, he was an offensive defenseman. I, I don't have to look. He had like between 100, maybe 200 penalty minutes. Would easily could have had more. He was real tough, but he just didn't have the time. I find that amazing, amazing. Um, and then so you go, you go to Saint Avex. So now, I'm guessing, 31 points, 27 games. You're playing forward though, right? Yeah. 110 penalty minutes. How did you manage that? Because the whole way, PJ, like, you're like. There's a lot of people, I guess me included, that they see the highlights, right? They, they go to YouTube and it's just a fight and, and, you know, and you're known for being a good fighter and everything else, but there's a whole lot more to it. So again, I find that, you know, as you're there, I mean, that had to be one of the most points in the division, but you, you managed to get 110 PIMS. So at <laughs> some point, there's a lot going on here, a lot to unpack. Within six months, you're right. It's, it's hard to go from Canadian University to the NHL ever. Ask Joel Ward. But there are stories like that. But to go in six months is crazy. And are the Rangers literally thinking this guy can play third line and be a tough guy when they're watching you play university hockey? Because your numbers would indicate that. But like, what were they saying? What were they thinking? What were you thinking? I have no idea. I really don't. Um, I think, I think I had, I remember uh, I only kind of had one speed and I think back to some of the penalty minutes that I had were, you know, I was never really great at anything I did in on the, on the ice, except for I tried to, I like the physicality of the game. So I tried to leave a memorable moment every time I played whether it was uh, a, what was more or less getting under guys' skin and, and like throwing off their best player. And if I could, I'd hit them as hard as I possibly could. And that's, you know, you hit, you know, it's hard today with so many of the, the reasons why the game has changed, but back then it was part of it. So the hitting, the physicality, the little kind of cheap shots, I always wanted to hurt someone, but never hurt someone. Right. You, were- you want you, PJ, before you go on, you you had a reputation of being fairly clean, like for the type of game we all know. The I mean, I had to do, like you get in there, right? And and sometimes it's against your better instinct, but you know that you're going to be a better player and more important to your team if you do that. But you don't want to go out and cro- cross check Martin St. Louis in the face, but you want to finish your. I knew that. Hey, if 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 you were coming, you were going to hit me, and and at some point, someone might piss you off, and you might go. But it was usually of an honest nature, and your chirps were usually funny more than any. That that's just the impression I got. Matt Higgins, yeah. guys on my team, we talked about the guys. Remember the day you had to had five six guys to deal with going into Philadelphia it was like you'd have t- two weeks. You'd be thinking about it, but <laughs> you know, but. Just so you know, I mean, your reputation with anybody I played with was a fairly clean player who had to do the dirty job once in a while. Thank you. And that's kind of, yeah. So back then, you know, coaches would do, you know, when I was playing defense or even, it'd be simple. Every team did the same thing. Uh, Behind the net, your defenseman, your good defenseman would start with the puck. The center would swing one way. The defense. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. The pass to uh, to the forward on his backhand side. It was the same breakout every time. Mm. So I'd run from somewhere and just knees up, elbows up, uh, you know, hit him as hard as I possibly could. 
um, to make an impact or like to get, I love it when the building goes, Whoa, my, like, you know, the fans get going and yeah, that was, you know, and then I'd get the shit kicked out of me. So that's how I got the penalty minutes. I probably get, you know, someone would come after me right there. I probably wouldn't fight right there. Uh, so, but I might get a whatever. And then I fight later on and probably get five minutes or a, a roughing and it's seven minutes. And then in, you know, there's chances of guys at the end of the game would all start coming after me or all start going after them. And there's a chance that might be a 10 just to kick you out of the game. So that's how, so I never, ever looked when I was in junior, I had 400 and I don't know, uh, but they wanted me to get 32. They wanted me to get the record on the team. So they wanted, it's two, two funny stories. Um, w- one year in, in Victo, they wanted me, to, they wanted my, <laughs> the president wanted me to have my name attached to it. I didn't. <laughs> what an era. What a fucking, just to, just to, just think where you're coming from there. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't like the, I, the, the, the town was awesome for me. I love the, the, the organization, everything about it. And they wanted my name attached to something like, so like every time they look, they're going to see your name. Mm-hmm. So uh, they wanted me to have the most penalty minutes, to, but and I had to take like, 15 in my last game or something like that i'm like I'm not that. Uh, but anyways i it didn't happen but they retired my number instead and so they said that's kind of it could have wow. been yeah smarter than me i would have just had a penalty but now they retired my number uh and then in boston one year uh i christoph oliwa had the most penalty minutes and the guys like nhl was way different you know i get two hardly any twos not many twos but i get twos or fives and i never got a 10 and they uh they're like stalker you you can't let him have more penalty minutes dude you like you deserve it i want your name because at the end of each year right it says most points most goals most assists most penalty minutes and they the guys wanted me to have my name there and so they said, they, they want soccer. We want you take two minors tonight. Like, I don't care what you do. We'll kill them for you. And I'm like, what do you oh, mean man. go on the ice and take stupid? This is pro hockey. And they're like, no, no, we'll kill them for you. I'm the captain of the team coming up, soccer. You do this. You, you've earned it. We'll cover it for you. I'm like, uh, no, that's not going to happen. But thank you. Um, but yeah. That is just great. And and look, I, I, I could talk about one team or this whole situation uh, for the next three hours, but really we, we don't, I know I, I said, I keep you for 45 or so we're, we're approaching that soon. So maybe an hour, um, but I got a few more things to ask you. I want to get to. Um, so Hold on. before we get to anything in mind, I know I flip it on you. Oh yeah. Th- this is the nature of the beast right here because you're good at this. Okay. Keep going. I can't wait to see what this is. Are we going to be the mayor of Mount Pearl? <laughs> I'm running for council. I've I'm from here. I live here, but I'm not only am I from here. Mount Pearl got thirty or forty thousand people now. It's a suburb of St. John's, the right Saint. The whole area, I guess, two fifty to three hundred in our, which is half the island, really. Um, so it's a small town, but it's it's not. But St. John's still has that small. I mean, Montreal is a small feel, and it's huge. It's oh. just you know, you, you once you get to know the. You know, you, you get to know people, you go to the right restaurants, you know, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's that feel here. So it feels like a small town. And I, uh, you know, my daughters and but, but anyway, my, my grandfather built, it was one of the first houses in Mount Pearl in 1952. My parents still live in it. My daughter's involved in here. And I thought about it before last time I, I, I ran, but I, I joined real late with a week left. And anyway, now 
I got some time. I, I announced it yesterday and I had a bunch of people offering to help me out with the campaign, which I need. But I figure why not? It's, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to sound cliche uh, and uh, self-important here with, uh, you know, I want to give back, but I can, I think I can do a good job even with little things like, uh, you know, the entertainment industry and the sports industry and those things in a, in a small town really kind of, they, they, they keep the place t tightly knit. And I'm already involved in all that stuff. It's a lot to take on, but I really, I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for asking. Um, are you going to have to, are you going to bring your tooth to all the meetings or are you going toothless? I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, and, and you know why I keep it out? What's funny is that I got in the film industry, as, as you know, and I, I was dabbling and I did some stunts, but then people started to call and they need like a bad guy or like a pimp or a drug dealer or letter. Kenny called. I was only a hockey player once on that one. I'm playing <laughs> one again next week, but that's it. So, and I got into the acting union and you know, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not an actor that, you know, just sits here and waits for these roles or, but there's a couple of studios here. They often need, you know, background of, uh, they need, um, someone to answer the phone in the movie one the odd time. And, you know, you don't want to burn a great actor. So I got a little niche going and often I'll get a phone call from, you know, one of a number of shows saying, Hey, we need a, we need a bad guy again. You mind popping out the tooth, maybe shaving your head up a little bit uh, funky, you know? So that's the reason I keep it. And, uh, at this point, it's become synonymous with who I am. So who knows? I love your questions, though, and I love how you flipped it over. I talk enough as it is. And yeah. you, it, not only did yeah. you flip it over, you asked me an all-important question that I didn't have to self-promote. Uh, so I appreciate that. Well, you texted me and said, ask me. <laughs> well, oh, no way. Oh, I told you not to say that. <laughs> That's good. You're still in a hockey dressing room, too, which I love. Um, <laughs> um, okay, before, I mean, the next six years go by, you're in the NHL. There's a lot of crazy things that happen, ups and downs. I want to know about your first goal, and I want to know about the story you told when we were at Dale, Dale Howard Chuck's tournament. I don't remember the ins and outs of it, but I know the, uh, the bubble gum was in your glove. Um, oh. I, I think, I think. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know there's some story around there. Uh, but anyway, start with your first goal. Love it. You, you're playing within a year. You're playing at St. Avex in Atlantic Canada. Uh, yeah. You know, a road trip is into Fredericton. And now you're in the National Hockey League and you're about to score a goal. What happened? Yeah, goal is uh, actually I'm looking on my left right here. My first point was uh, for PJ's first point was collected an assist on Mike Eastwood's third period goal on December 17th, 1997. Rangers four, Panthers two. That was my first uh point that's right on the wall right beside me i have a like it's so yeah we're pretty I mean, lucky we've been pretty lucky to be able to do some of the cool things that we do and i i kind of made a room here in my basement that is just kind of it was more for my friends my buddies and like it's 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 kind of surreal some of the cool experiences that we have like just scoring a goal in the national hockey league. uh yeah. just my first one the best thing is uh i had a i scored my first goal in san jose against the great Kelly Rudy and Rudes had one. He's one of my best friends. He had an amazing NHL career. Everyone remembers him in LA with the, with the bandana, uh, you know, the team that the, you know, the Canadians beat the Stanley cup finals and he hates it. Cause they always show the Eric Desjardins uh, yeah. final goal for, I think to win it. And, <laughs> but he's one of the nicest human beings you'll, you'll ever meet. And every time like we go to, we used to go to events together and stuff and they, they read off, you know, 
Kelly Rudy, you know, this greatest, that greatest, this, so many games, so many points, some or same, sorry, whatever. This this accolade list, which is that long, and then they get to PJ, and it's like, well, PJ touched the puck once in '98. He's a Gemini. His <laughs> blue. Uh, but the one thing that I have on Kelly Rudy, my first goal I ever scored was on Kelly Rudy. So that that's kind of like and what kind of a goal? Shot in front, tip what? It was it was it was I don't even know. Like you come on, you you put up crazy numbers. You could score in junior. I I'm I'm just things are bouncing off my shin pads or <laughs> it was actually a, a pass out of the corner. Uh, Kevin Stevens. Uh, pass Kevin Stevens, yeah. Kevin Stevens threw it to the front of the net, and uh, I, I, I banged it in. So it was uh, Mike Eastwood, Kevin Stevens, and myself. It was in San Jose against Kelly Rudy. So that was that. And uh, I'll give you one story. It's the same year, um, 97, 98. Um, so we're playing the the uh, like <laughs> playing the New York Islanders in New York. And our coach at the time, it, it, our Colin Campbell started the year off, was, was let go, and um, John Muckler took over. Now, John Muckler didn't like two things. The fourth line are young guys. I was a young guy on the fourth line. So <laughs> oh, double whammy. Oh, yeah, you're fucked. Done. Like, there'd be nights, like, just never get it. Like, it never happened to me where I never got a shift. But Langer... Uh, Darren Langer, one of the great uh, Newfoundlanders of all time. Langer, some nights didn't get a shift, which is which is ridiculous. Uh, he'd go out there and do anything for the team and wouldn't get a shift sometimes. I think, I think he has like a large number of them. I remember he told me, I, I forget, but it, it's like it's in the double digits. It's way it, up there. Yeah. I love Wayne Gretzky and some of the others. And if I remember this correctly, like sometimes Darren did all the fisticuffs and at a different time and was the most loved guys in the locker room. And those back then, those games didn't go to your pension. If you didn't get on the ice, it didn't go to your pension. Yeah, so it didn't yeah. count. So he'd sit there and do everything and not, you know, and, and we're not making the Wayne Gretzky money. So every now and then the goalie would be coming uh, out of the net and like they'd throw Darren on. So we'd at least jump on and get a couple seconds. Like it was, it was a different time. And anyways, I love, I love Langer. But speaking of Langer, it's a great prelude to this. We're, uh, we're playing the New York Islanders, and it's uh, – if we're – as I said, we already fired a coach. If we lose the game, we're pretty much eliminated from the playoffs. It's – sorry, to make the playoffs. It's like about a couple games left to go, but we're – we have Gretzky, Lafontaine as our first two centermen. There was no salary cap back then, and we had everyone, you know, and here we are trying to make the playoffs, and the Islanders weren't a good team. But if they can beat us – it kind of ended like the New York Rangers hopes the season. New York playing New York on Long Island, they're up 2-0. And the building is rocking. They score to make it 3-0. 3-0. And now their coach calls a timeout. Sorry, there's a timeout called. No one really knows who calls a timeout. But Gretz comes to our bench and, and, and looks in, okay, like, what's the timeout for? And uh, Muckler's like, I don't know. Muckler's, you know, I don't know what he's looking at, but Muckler's like, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know. So Gretz is like, I, I Muck's like, I didn't call a timeout. So Gretz goes and looks at their bench and says something to one of the veterans on their team, and the guy, their coach had called timeout, their team called timeout, and it was, and it was Mike Milbert. 
And Mike Milbury at 3-0 called timeout and was standing on the bench, arms crossed, kind of just like taking it all in, like, oh, but like just I I spoke to him later, but he's like he was trying to make sure they didn't lose the lead, but no way. It was like a Glow. take that, you no know, yeah. ranger. And the building was crazy. And now Gretz tells him to F off, comes back to our bench. And I know you're going for mayor, but I'm going to swear a little here. So Gretz comes back to Muckler and goes, Muck, they called the fucking timeout. Muckler starts yelling at fucking uh, Milbury. And, and they're going back and forth. And Milbury's not saying anything as he's kind of just nodding his head and sucking it all in. And he goes, yeah, you want to play that fucking game? You want to play that game? Stalker. Get your fucking lineup. And he's all yelling, Stalker, get your lineup. I haven't played in two and a half hours. So think back then, like Langer didn't get a shift. We wouldn't get shifts in the second or the third. Yeah. By the eight-minute mark of the first period, we were like done. So Langer and I would play, would play betting games or I spy with my little eye. Or, yeah, yeah, I uh, know. Yeah. We used to play the clock game whenever it, I had a few of those, whenever it landed on like me and Dave Morissette, I remember David Ling, we used to like bet where the clock would end, like 50 bucks per spin. I think we talked about that. I forgot though that you, yeah, that's wild. Anyway, sort of cut in, keep going. I love this. So, oh yeah. So Muck is, is stalking. Now I'm like, I look at Langer and now this particular night, this particular night is like one of the, a fun game for people to play. If you're listening is to play blackjack with the clock. So which, let's say there's three of you, whatever, someone plays house, so house always has to hit on 16, but whatever the clock ends on, uh, that's your card, the last number. So yeah. let's say it's 1956, you get a six. And then, and, and you go in order and, and you, so we do stupid stuff all the time. Yeah. This particular night in on Long Island, the one thing we would get an abundance of in the National Hockey League was tape and gum, bubble gum. We'd get, uh, it was um, Bazooka Joe's, Back then, you take the ones that you take two bites out of and they had no taste left in it and your mouth would be like There's blocked. a big barrel of them right in the middle of the training table there. You just put, put your fist in and take 500. Yeah. So this third period, I have my whole glove filled up, my whole glove to the top. And on Long Island, the bench is here. There's a door and then there's spots for two people. Yeah. Darren Langdon, myself. Now we're not getting a shift. Like we're just sitting there for two, like, it's 20 minutes a period, but that's like 45 minutes to, to an hour. Yeah. I haven't played since like the five minute mark of the first period. And now there's like 90 seconds left and he wants us to go out there. Like, <laughs> oh, whoa. Darren Langdon's skates are like untied. I got no tape left anywhere. And it's like, are you kidding me? So quickly I take water, put it on, on my face and I go to get empty my glove because the game we were playing were, this is what stupid professional athletes do. At 20 bucks, uh, a, a guess, I was pulling a, a, a Bazooka Joe out and he had to guess the color. So it was like 20 bucks, <laughs> there were three colors, purple, pink, and, and red. That was it. And we just sit there and chew on the purple ones and throw the other ones on the floor. 20 bucks, uh, pink. That's right, you owe me 20. Uh, and then 20 bucks, uh, that Langer, purple. Uh, it's pink, you owe me 40. Then what, you get a purple one. Okay, I'm chewing it. So anyways, this particular night after being told to go on, uh, I go out, I finally get out there and I'm shaking my glove to get out. I woke myself up. I go to get on the ice and I, I, I line up. We put on our, our, our defensive line, our fourth line, so we're not defensive line. Me, Langer, Bill Burr, which was, I can't believe Billy was on, had to play with us. 
uh, Buka Boom and uh, Bruce Driver, they put on their most offensive line, which is kind of like thinking this way we won't do anything stupid. Tchaikovsky, Trevor Linden, and, and Paul Fee. They dropped the puck, and I slashed Trevor Linden. I'm center as hard as I can right across the chest. Like, <laughs> you guys want to play that fucking game? No you, way. The problem is I couldn't fit my fingers in the gloves because there was all gum stuck in them. So the I never got all the bazooka gums up. I didn't want anyone to know while I'm on the ice that my fingers were all still full. So I only had two fingers on my stick. And as I go to slash them, it like it's like a like a wet noodle, a piece of spaghetti oh, yeah. touches them. It's like, what, what are you doing? And I have a big mouth scar because I'm getting ready to fight. I I can't say anything. So I, I just go to hit him again. And it's like, and it's like, anyways, he, he just skates away and he dumps the puck to Zidane Chara, and we all go to hit Zidane Chara. Uh, big brawl on the ice. All, actually, you should see the, if you want to YouTube, Danny Cloutier comes down to fight their goalie, Salo. It's a, it's a I comedy. remember that. I didn't realize that was that particular game ever. I, and I've heard this story once and yeah, I didn't realize that. Five on five, six on six. Our goalie's challenging their bench and they finally clean everything up. We all get kicked out and, and we're now we're, we're in the in the hallway watching and they're getting ready to start the game up and the faceoff is down in the far end. But the problem is the far linesman is like blowing his whistle. Hold on. We can't, can't start yet. Can't start yet. There was gum on my from my glove being kicked around and picked up. There's and gum on the ice. There was gum everywhere. They had to blow it once. And then the goalie has to hit his stick again. And they spent like five minutes picking up bazooka Joes that have been. So that's that's pretty much my career summed up in uh, in a two minute story. Great, great, uh, great story. I absolutely love that one. And it gives fans a bit of insight to what actually goes on. I mean, sometimes sometimes that shit happens. I often tell the stories, but we used to play games like that, too. And um or like name that tune, you know, would you come over the loudspeaker like often? I mean, what else are you going to look you're, the way I used to find it? You're in this situation that requires a lot of tension and it's mental adversity and it's and you're doing what you love to do. But there's a lot that goes along with that from, you know, I want more ice time to like, you know, this situation to, to like, you know, I'm in the NHL, like I'm being looked at by everybody. I'm going to be from the interviews to your agents call after. How did you do? There's a lot that goes on. So I used to find that would loosen me up and I would play better when I got the opportunity if I was loose, but everybody's different, right? You ever eat uh, and What's the that? food that you ate it? Pardon me? Like, like, do you ever sit on the bench? And back then there was a little bit, there wasn't glass everywhere. Do you ever take like popcorn out of a fan's like, or yeah, like a hot, a hot dog? So there was a, there was a guy in Montreal too, steamer. And once when I was sitting out, it was actually my last game, I, I didn't obviously well, realize it was my last quick, game at the time. Quick, yeah. uh, for people that don't know, uh, he's a trainer with the Montreal Canes. We all call him Steamer because everyone has, you know, he got, we're always pulling jokes on the younger guys that come in, the rookies, or he. it was his first year as a trainer, and I, I'm forgetting his name. I'm sorry because we was all nicknames. I think, um, is, it, is, is it Pierre or? or, or? Pierre. No, I know Pierre. The one on, on, on top of him, I think. Um, I, I thought Pierre Ouellet, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Or, maybe that's it. My, right. I think it's Pierre Ouellet. So, so they like, he's a young kid, first year, and one of the vet veterans are like, hey, Pierre, go get me a bucket of steam. So, he, of course, he has no idea what that is. So he's running off and looking for 
a bucket of steam and he comes back to another veteran after not coming back for five minutes all shy and embarrassed saying i forget the name hey uh Shane Corson wanted a bucket of steam, but I can't find one. I don't know what to do. And so I just, his name stuck with him. The you know what? I, PJ, I didn't realize that. And I, I went, I used to, I really liked him. I got along with him. And um, just to, to, to touch on a few things you said. Yeah, so there was a couple times we'd go out. And Saku Koivu used to drink Coke in between periods. I didn't see anybody ever do that uh, up until that. I, I still haven't really. But um, So there was always uh, Cokes on. And if I didn't play in the first period... I didn't think I was getting out there again. There was a few times. And, and this one time I was injured anyway. I had a bit of lace bike going on. Right. So it, it was, it was late. It, something happened. Something, someone's plane didn't get in. They had to dress 16 anyway. And so it was like, is your ankle all right? Well, you know, I, I figured I wasn't going to get out there, but anyway, it wasn't only that time, but I tell the story because I had the Shen shows in Montreal. They're just wicked. They're the best hot dogs in the league. I think so. He would often, especially if I didn't get out there, he would give me one. And even if he didn't, I say to people like, they're like, I can't believe you were eating a hot dog on the bench. I'm like, well, but I, I eat my pregame at 1130. And if you don't get out there in the first, you're starving, you're starving. Yeah. And like it was, it was a hot dog. We often did that. Like, and um, to, to expand, um, it, it was a different time. Of course we did. Remember we had Gatorade bars and stuff. I'm not saying I did it all the time, but maybe in the course of the season, I would have, Eight, eight or nine times, you know, I'm starving. I'm not playing much. I'd have a hot dog. Now you would go to the, you would go to the extreme and grab it from fans. I heard that you told me to grab popcorns and shit from the fans. That's great. But I mean, they probably loved it. Oh yeah. Well, you're not playing. Like I said, you're just, you're just I, one night we were in uh, Buffalo and the kiss cam came on our, uh, onto, onto our bench and it's me and another guy and we're up five, one. And I reached over and kissed his helmet. And everybody laughed. Ha, 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 ha. We lost that game 6-5. Oh, I, no. Oh, I, no. I, how I, do you I, feel going in the room? Now, even uh, though it's a little thick. How do you feel? Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. I didn't even play pretty much after that anyways. I couldn't really be blamed. But it, guess who took the blame? Yeah. This Something so, so silly that probably had nothing to do with it. But you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, this I, is the worst. I stopped myself there. Listen, then that's awesome. I just got a few now, just a couple more things. And then I got some uh, silly kind of rapid fire ones to end with. But, you know, considering that um, we were both Habs and you're living there and you cover the team quite a bit. Um, what do you think of the landscape now? I think this is an odd. I mean, overall in the NHL, I, uh, I, I, I find it to be a very entertaining offseason. But this is different for the Habs in that Weber, I think. I mean, I, I don't really know. I, I hear that he's at least out for the year, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and outside of the, so, so that, and, and, you know, Perry being gone, which was a big part of that. I know he's older. I'm just saying a big part of that run, like, you know, the run just happened a couple months ago and it seems like it's dismantled already. That's pro sports. That's pro sports. And I think they're, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to be any worse, although it's going to be hard to be better when you're losing Shea Weber, but a, a, what do you think of the landscape coming in? I don't know what to think. And B, maybe I'm, I haven't heard about Jonathan Drouin. I don't know. I, I just knew he was on a leave of absence. Usually yeah. that means, you know, you, it's something, there's some kind of adversity going on, whether it's mental or physical. I don't really know if, if, if I don't even want to speculate, but it's a weird situation. I don't hear anybody talking about it. I'm like, 
He didn't play. He's from Quebec, one of the only French players. He decided not to play. Fair enough. More power to him, whatever it is. Uh, get well or, or whatever needs to be said. But now you miss the whole playoffs and you go on the biggest run in 30 years. Now, how do you, how do you feel coming back? How does the fan base feel? Um, is there any word on how he's doing, you know, without... Well, I'll give you a little bit of the landscape, what's going on in Montreal right now. And it's, it's a tough time because uh, they went through a run. Like, up until the playoffs, like a few weeks before the playoffs. Actually, let me rephrase that. Game four, I think, uh, or game five, I think it was game five, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, everyone had Carey Price gone, uh, you know, yeah. the coach and GM fired. Um, they were, if everyone can't remember, they for the last Mark Bergeron's uh, reign here, reign or time, sorry, with the Montreal Canadiens, they haven't had a lot of success with draft picks. They haven't had a lot of success um, in the at the NHL level. And the American Hockey League team had pretty much not made the playoff six of the last seven years. So coming into this year, things weren't looking great. There were hopes on a couple of kids, but there was hopes every year that nothing ever panned out. Fast forward to game five against the Toronto Maple Leafs, where they, despite having no Tavares, I think they were up 3-1. Game five, something kind of clicks and they go on this crazy run. Like one of the craziest runs of, I said this early during the season that this team was not built for the regular season, but they were built kind of for the playoffs. Like they, they were a team built for the playoffs to win two, three games, you know, big, strong wingers, um, you know, slow, big defense. But when the, when the, 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 which is so funny, the way they completely call the game differently in the playoffs I thought it'd be advantageous for a team like the Montreal Canadiens. And it was. Like, if you looked at it, it was unbelievable. And, like, they're getting all this fan base. Everything's gone and everything gets created. And then the year ends. And everyone, my kids, everyone's were fans and so excited for this team. Forget about what happened prior to that game five. The last seven, eight years, it's all forgotten. They yeah. just went to the Stanley Cup finals. This team is the future. They're talking Stanley Cup coming up again. It's been a bit of a shit show in Montreal yeah. this summer um, from Weber not being able to play next year to Carey Price being injured to not being injured um, to the Philip Dano uh, contracts yeah. uh, situation to their first overall pick, which is a little bit of a PR uh, disaster. Um, so there was so many things that had them headed in the right direction that I think they might have fallen back and maybe even fallen back further than they were than where they were at that game five mark in Toronto. So think they, they might be missing Carey Price for who knows how long. Uh, they're, they're in salary cap hell moving forward. Um, they still have their, their centermen going into the season are Nick Suzuki, KK, who they didn't play, Kokanyemi for those, uh, in the last game because, you know, but he's still a super young kid. Uh, Jake Evans, I guess, is going to be their shutdown guy. Um, and I guess Cedric Paquette might be their – like, you win by the center, 3-4-D in your goalie. It's, it's, it's going to be an interesting season. It's I mean, be a I, I don't I, I never, ever want to speculate again, but um, I did. I, I didn't think they'd go to the final. I did think 
I, I think I even sent you a message. Like I, I thought they were built for the playoffs too. In a, in a weird, most years in at least recent history, being my lifetime, they're not made for the playoffs, or, or, or right. at least they would appear to be. So this, this, you could kind of sense something, but I mean, from start to finish, that's why I find it so wild. Because it was, it wasn't off the start of the playoffs. I mean, one goal and they're gone, and everybody's yeah. fired, and it's, and then all of a sudden, boom, it starts. And for two months, the entire country, love it, or, love them or hate them, were, were were involved, and they gained so many fans. Just like my daughter's eleven years old, and it was this, it was this playoff that she really hit home. She's like, so, so you you played for the Canadians? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was my team. And then, you know, and her classmates and you could see it brewing people that didn't like them or were on the fence. All of a sudden, like they gained millions of fans. And now yeah. those fans that aren't really involved are going to go, what the hell is going on in September? I find it it's almost it's a shade off of sad to me. Uh, but but who knows? Maybe, maybe they do well and I'm proven wrong. But I, I just think for a team that made the final, I don't know if I've seen this level of misfortune immediately ever well they i mean they had all kinds of fortune to get to that run every team they played lost their first center or their second like it was you know if you look at the success that they had was their goalie stood on his head and carry price who had not been statistically spectacular for the last three years yet he goes on this crazy run in the playoffs which is you know like his 2014 mvp season you look at the defense that uh, were big and strong and, and kind of they were able to play their way and, and up, up front, it was very inconsistent, but they had the consistency of from three old guys on the fourth line. Wild. They played 10 minutes, 12 minutes a night and they were their best line every night and they'd score every night. Mm. It was just, and so much of that is that fandom and craziness and, and everything that was helping them get to where they got to. Listen, again, listen, they lose, Winnipeg lose Shifley, Tavares from Toronto, uh, you know, uh, Vegas, Stevenson, I know he, he's not the top, top, but he's, he's their t- number one center. He wasn't there for most of the series. They, they were very fortunate, and, and I think they got to where they were and created this very positive buzz. I'm nervous as I'm a fan of the Montreal Canadiens in the city, and it was so fun for my kids to be part of it and experience what it's like that there hasn't been much positive since that final night that I'm interested to see do we fall back further than that game five and how bad everything was. It's going to be such an interesting preseason for this team. I only have one more question pertaining to hockey. Thank you for the time. And then we just got some rapid fires before we go. Uh, How do you find the time in the day? And I'm really curious uh, as a human and as a person that's involved in covering hockey a little bit, I guess, um, in that, you know, I have you guys on. I like to stay relevant. People have hockey questions for me. I speak at banquets, but you got to know prospects and you got to know what's going on. You got to know salary caps. You got to know contracts. I don't know how. What is your process? Do you get up and follow Twitter? Do you buy all the papers and read through them? What happens? I make it up as I go. <laughs> don't we all? Uh, that's a great answer as, as, as great answers go. Yeah. Don't we all? It's all, I mean, if you sound convincing, you could be talk, talking completely out your ass, but if you sound convincing, the other people are going to buy it. That's all that it is. I don't have a clue. We were talking about, I don't think we were talking before this even went to air. That like, There's so many players with a salary cap the way it is. Uh, your bottom tier of your team 
is as cheap players as you can possibly get that can fill in gaps. And you're just bringing up players. And it used to be pretty much North America, uh, Sweden, Finland, Russia, and, and, and Slovakia or Czech. But now it's everywhere. There's players from everywhere. And they're, you might get a game or two games and then this guy's in and that guy's it's It's so fast and changing so quickly. It's really hard to... The prospect issue is, is is too hard to really follow up on. It's hard to follow up on who's playing on a, a, any given well, Sunday, but every night. It's so like, it's, 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 I had in my office here, I had two TVs. I used to watch every night, two TVs. I had an iPad going and I had picture in picture in one of the TVs. So on the big TV would be like the Bruins game, the Leafs game, the Habs game, um, and, and our team that I like watching. The other game would be a game that I have to watch or at least try and see if there's anything. Like when the Capitals were playing the Rangers again after the big brouhaha, you know, I had to make sure I had at least an eye on that game while all the Canadians were playing. So you try, but it's impossible. It's so hard. So you, you, you use guys like Elliot Friedman, some of those great guys, some of the great guys at TSN, uh, Darren Dreggers, the Bob McKenzie's and uh, Chris Johnson's, uh, Justin Bourne's. They all do a lot of work for you. The hardest part I find now is the advanced analytics that there's so many stats now that you can come up and talk about what a player's worth, what a player's win rate is, what a player's like. And I'm like, I don't even know where we are right now. Like, yeah. I don't even just happen. I understand everything's about sports and math and that's how it all works. But we're coming up with equations for stuff that, I try and digest it while I'm looking at the TV and saying this guy's a game winning percentage versus, and I'm like, I don't, I get lost in that stuff. So I try and watch as much as I can and use the eye test for most. I used to find that intriguing about baseball because it's a slower game and I could go and bring my baseball digest to a Jays game or an Expos game way back in the day. And, and I like that about baseball and having a beer and really taking it in and going, Oh, okay. So this guy's, from the sixth to the ninth inning, he really tapers off. And it used to be, but right. hockey's too fast. There's too much going on. And and I, I don't know, it becomes a headache to me. I, I understand. I mean, people argue against analytics. Analytics is, is really only information. So, I mean, well, but it gets to a point how you use those analytics. Baseball's starting to go with people aren't stealing bases and pitchers with no hitter going in the seventh or getting taken out. I don't know. I, I hope that's not the future of hockey or whatever, but I, I, I know there's a place... I find that a huge headache, though. That's why I prefer what I do. And, and, and look, I'm not saying I prefer like there's two options here. I, I, I do a podcast. You're working for major shows, major networks. I get and I would jump at that in a heartbeat. I'm just saying it's not as easy as people think. My next and I do have a last question B. When you're watching, I often wondered when you're analyzing after the period, let's say on Hockey Night in Canada, you're right and you're talking and you're showing the people at home and, and, and Ron's over there and Kelly or whoever, and you've got the screen and, and you're, you know, you're, you're like a whiteboard and you're, you're circling guys and you're showing what might have, you know, this guy didn't pick up his, his guy coming back and that's why he's open. And then people try to overcompensate that leads to the goal, whatever, right? You do your thing. What if it's getting late in the period and you haven't found something? Do you, do you, do you go, Hey, did anybody see anything there? Like what? I got something to break down and I don't know. It's, it's been chaos. I haven't really seen much. Do you just throw something up on the screen and go, this is how to work a power player? Like, how does that work? So there's two things. I think uh, one, first of all, you build a library all, all game. So all game you're watching and you're, 
you're at, you're just whatever. You're just building a library the entire time of like anything. Um, but I think, I, I think that model is, I think been overdone a little because there's hockey every night and so many channels now and so much. I, I really think that you just, it comes down to forms of entertainment. And, and I, I think that's why, um, you know, I, I think it's how can we find that new level of breaking down a play is with so many people that can break down plays now. I, I think it's what's that next level. And I think the best show sports for me is, is Shaq and, and uh, it's the TNT yeah. halftime at, at basketball. Cause they want to see a, a cookie eating. Co- you talked about the hot dogs before. Well, like how to make whatever, something funny that keeps you coming back. You know, Don Cherry hate him or like him or whatever, but he did something to TV that I think was the first one to do it. He almost made it must-see TV because you didn't know what he was going to wear. Like you two, and he might not talk about anything and half the time he isn't, but he's dressed up and you're, you know, like I'm saying, you looked for that. Looking at people continually breaking down plays Eh. But I think if you can create that with the, the way Shaq and and uh, Charles Barkley and oh, geez, I'm forgetting the point card Smith um, have done it. It's brilliant TV. And I think that's where hockey has to find that next level of TV. I, I agree. I agree. And I like um, I, I do enjoy it. And, and I, I like sometimes like watching uh, Max Kellerman, uh, Stephen A. Smith and uh, whether, whether you agree with them or not. I mean, I'm going to get messages there. But I like the banter and I like how they don't bring out like the, the chalkboard to show you. They're just talking. And then there's a lot of nuances in there. Look, trust me. When you first started doing that, like I liked it because an ex player like, and, you know, I'm, uh, people I talk to, I can tell they liked it because it's this player has something to give that, you know, a lot of other people don't. They're, but now a lot of people are growing up with analytics. So when you started that, I don't know, that was over 10 years ago. So yeah. in that 10 years, now people have come through. They've gone to Ryerson or wherever they went. They studied this. They studied like like Kyle Dubas. They're, they're Kyle Dubas yeah. in, in younger versions. And they're, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, but now everybody can break it down. And you don't even need to be a player. Now all of a sudden there's some people that work at, dominion down the road that i stop in and like they they could do that as good as me or better and i'm going okay but what they can't they like this but they haven't been in an nhl dressing room give me that give me that right they they haven't been around they don't know what it's like to go okay i've already got two fights but there's nobody left on the bench there's five minutes left fuck mark major's still running around okay you know they, they haven't been in that situation as much as they can try to break it down so i still think there's a spot for that and don cherry's a great example um you know, he's, he's still going after all these years. So what he brought to the table isn't getting old, right? There's, there's <laughs> new ways to present it, but it's still the same, same old thing. I think Mark Major was my first AHL fight. <laughs> Why did that pop into my head? Of course, of course. It was one of those teams, though. They had Vandenbush, oh, Myers yeah, for a bit, Major. Yeah, yeah, it oh. was like Philly. Was that your first fight? He was a big I think dude. That was my first fight in the American Hockey League. You and I had 900 of them in a training camp. All I remember is, oh my God, you punched me so many times in Vermont. We it was have, the same. Uh, you you punched me. It was it was a classic tilt, man. Oh my God, I'm still drooling from it. But hey, uh, but I remember something before we fought. For those that don't know, these these camps back then, you know, there could be guys out there that were decent, but they just never even got to excel because the play was stopped every minute. It was if there was there was six guys per team looking for a spot as as a 
tough guy per se, or at least one. Of, and there was another bunch that didn't want to back down, like me or Jonathan DeLille or Aaron Ashram, that would end up fighting as much as anybody or you right. or, or who. But there was also like, you know, I remember looking, we lined up and uh, Eric Bolton, I think, was we were in the a tournament that weekend and there was a bunch of rookie teams. Anyway, I just remember going like, and you were like, yeah, let's just go. Let, let's have a fight. Let's just do it. You know, there wasn't much to be said. We did our thing. Jack hammers was all done. You're still a friend of this day, right? That that's the way it worked. But, but a lot of them, a lot of them were crazy and there was no limit. You could get in five fights in a game. What are you going to get yep. suspended from? They were crazy. Yeah. Like I can never cross check someone in the face. I just couldn't do that. Um, I, you know, that's why I, I couldn't back either. I could hurt someone, but I wanted to hurt them like the big body check or, you know, <laughs> And you like that the the optics of beating the guy up and him falling and and ah, uh, but I, I couldn't really hurt a guy. Could never really hurt a guy. But there was guys that were fucked up back then. Like they were uh, some of the best to play. You know, Mark Messi is one of the greatest leaders of all time, and for him to survive at that time, check out how many times he'd cross check someone in the face. Yeah, Canada Cup. Canada Cup 1987 or 91, you can do what, or it's 87. Watch the whole thing. We all know the Lemieux goal, right? We all know 656565 in the final. Wait till you see. It's one of those teams. I think it's Sweden. He just takes his stick. Here you go, right across the teeth, right? And it's what? It's like a four minute, four minute minor. Yeah. <laughs> but, or Bird Dog, right? Bird Dog, God rest his soul. He ended up moving to Newfoundland. Bird Dog had that in him. He'd chop you over the head and you'd be in, in a weird way. It kind of made them effective. I, I, I wish I, I didn't have to give people credit that were just nuts. That, but, but that was the case. You'd be coming out going, okay. I, I often looked at a guy like, like um, who was a good example? Oh, my last fight in the NHL, Cam Russell. And I remember sure. he was barely clean. He'd do his thing. He'd you know, talk to you. He was a big guy. But I, I'd rather that than a, a, someone that I'm going to turn my head and they're going to or, or they're going to just look straight at me like bird and just cross check me right in the face. Just like having a ham sandwich didn't matter. Right. And it takes something for that kind of person to it, not only that, for that kind of person to be out there. But for you, that's why I said, like, even then he, there was guys just to play. You were tough. Like Daniel Briere didn't fight. But I mean, right. he had to be fairly tough to go into those atmospheres. Peter Forsberg's one of the toughest players I ever saw. And I don't think he fought once. But, you know, you couldn't intimidate him. And back then there were people intimidated. It was it was like they were almost cartoon characters, Tony Twist and Frank Bialois, and, and they all had names, right? The Twister and the, the Grim Reaper and the Animal, right? It, it was just, but it, I, I, I'm rambling, but I'll, I'll stop here. But thing is, I've thought about it and I've looked at it in the 70s and then the 80s. You know, there, there was tough players and there was always tough guys. But like Dave, Schultz, the Hammer Schultz had 20 goals. Chris Nyland had 20 goals. Bob Probert, I think, had 30 or 29. When, so... They were tough, but they had to get there on skill, right? They, 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 they couldn't just come in having fought a rhinoceros the, the week before and having done nothing else. But all of a sudden, guys came in that wore the goalie jerseys. That we, and we had to fight all of them. You know, we, 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 we'd bounce both ways. But, you know, Vaseline on the faces, leather chin strap. I'm here for one shift. And whoever I go out against, I'm going to break their face. And that became, in the 90s, a thing, right? Just in, the, in the peak... In the sweet spot of the bat for our careers, the couple guys that I would say, you know, fighting wasn't the first thing on our mind, but we're not going to back down. But we have right. to come in and fight some guys that were like, holy fuck. Like, like Rob Ray is one of the toughest men but ever. But if you think about it, 
Rob never fought with a top on. Like yeah. he, like you watch this. Like you think of so many, and I'm just saying him. It's like I know, I know. He, he didn't doctor his jersey up. He just never had a jersey. And then there's like so many guys that had like goalie sleeves or uh, the American Hockey League was the worst for me because guys used to take their blades or their sticks, um, and they I'd be in the locker room coming out of college hockey, and guys are like turning the screws backwards on their helmet. Yeah. Punch. Guys would shave the top part of their blade so when they were hooking you, they'd cut your arms. Okay. Like, I'm like, what kind of league am I in? I just, I think I'm going back to school because these guys are crazy. Like, there's crazy, and then this is straight up, like, prison shit, like the Longest Yard movie. This is, this is like, oh, my God. <laughs> I remember, I remember Dave Manson did that with his stick. And I'd heard, like, being a Western Leaguer, I'd heard, like, the legendary story that he came down. We could never warm up. In my whole career in the Western League, we weren't allowed to warm up with the other team. And the reason was because back when he played in Prince Albert, he went up in the other end of the rink and grabbed the net and brought it down into his hand. So whoever – and that's – honestly, I'd heard that. I'm like, that can't be true. I played with him. It's true. And he used to have the cups coming off the suspenders. That was it. And and he had that – he'd shave his stick. And then once in a while – we were even in practice once, and I'm coming down, and he turned around, and he hit me right before I went in to get him. And, you know, he helped me in the head. I don't, He didn't mean to hurt me or anything, but, you know, he was protecting the puck. I'm like, Jesus, man. So I was like, how did you see me? He goes, I was looking in the glass. I'm like, I didn't even think about that. What? You're using the glass as a mirror to see people behind you so you can elbow them with your fucking shaved up stick and your little tiny elbow shoulder pads. I'm like, this is, yeah, I don't think of that stuff. And half the league was thinking about it, right? Why are you wearing Vaseline on your face, Dave? <laughs> well, here you go, kid. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm, I'm talking too much. Do you have anything to add to that before rapid fire randoms? R- rapid fire away. That's rapid fire. Well, these are some rapid fire randoms. So I'm going to give you hockey questions are over and we're going to finish with a bit of lighthearted uh, kind of one liners or, or whatever you want. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Rapid fire randoms. Here we go. Um, for Sundays, the rest of your life, you have to be a Looney Tune character. Who would it be? Now, Sundays is important here because for me, say, Mondays, I'm like I wouldn't want Yosemite Sam on a Sunday. You know the guy with the big mustache with the rootin' tootin' guns and stuff. He'd probably be a little bit of stress on a Sunday, right? So specifically Sundays, the rest of your life, you have to morph into a cartoon character from Looney Tunes. Who's it going to be? I think Bugs. I think Good. a I have big teeth. One, and he's kind of like chill. Like everyone else seems to have a lot of the problems. I, I think he kind of has it. So. I don't want my Sunday. I like to sit back and watch some football and have a couple drinks. I can see myself kicking it up. And yeah, a lot of carrot to the diet, but uh, I'm going with bugs. It's a great answer, and the reason is key. Um, the reason is key because, yeah, he's always – he's dumb like a fox, so to speak. He's always sitting back. Bugs does shit when Bugs wants to do shit. He's, re- yeah. he's, he's acting, not reacting. Everybody else is reacting, right? What's up, Doc? Um – Okay, I don't know. You might have done one of these things, but what here would you, which one would you pick to do tomorrow? Swim a mile, jump out of a plane, do stand-up comedy, not as PJ Stock. Like, you're walking into a comedy club. I'm Mike McFarlane. You know, no hockey stories. 
I've done stand up, but I had to fall back on that. And I know how hard it was. And I don't know if I do it as a nobody. Um, yeah. So uh, three things, which one? So uh, I swim half a kilometer pretty often. There's one on our lake. I just do the island. And I mentioned the lifeguarding thing. So that gets done often. Uh, the comedy thing, that is hard as I, I can never do that. If I, if I knew I can go up and be <laughs> funny, and it'd be like getting high fives and free drinks the rest of the night. I do that. The one thing I don't want to do, but because of that list, I'd love to try. I'd love to jump out of a plane. I'm so scared of heights. Um, I'm so, if I can do a double tandem and someone doing it all for me and I can just, uh, uh, yeah. like, I'd love to try Just that. push yourself out of the, it's funny though, because that's like before a shift when you get a fight, you know, your answer. Okay. And that's why like, sometimes I still, I don't mind, um, you know, situations that put you there. I don't know, like acting. I don't know. Like, you know, the director says action. If you fuck up, like everybody get, you know, it's kind of like do it now. And there's, there's a feeling. And, and, and I think, Exactly. I don't like heights either, but I go on roller coasters. I'm like, once I'm strapped in, I'm strapped in. I'm here. I'll do it. Like, I like that. Go do it. And I think maybe in some world, I'm terrified of heights, man. I hyperventilate. But if I'm up there, I know I'm not going to die, right? I'm not going to die. So if I, yeah, tandem, like if someone just like helped push me out, I, I know I could get it done. It's possible. Oh, no, no. I was thinking somebody's with me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Push okay. me out like in tandem and you're with me. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're falling with me. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I guess you could have a heart attack on the way down, but um, I, who knows? I don't think I could, but I, would I wouldn't be surprised if, if you put me in that situation. Yeah, um, it probably won't be behind you because if I'd shit myself and it would probably come right up with the speed we're going at. I it, think, it, I'm, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wouldn't that be funny? It had it has it had to have happened though. It has to have happened. Oh my god! Um, uh, the rush. The, I might. You can't see, but my hands and feet are sweaty right now. Thinking of this. And when he said the roller coaster, I've taken roller coasters and I I can't do them. I just ice. I'm gonna have a like. I just panic the entire time. My hands and feet are sweating right now. Change yeah. subject. What's next? I, I make myself get in it. I know it's it's horrible. Every every roller coaster I remember is a horrible experience. Why do I do it again? Okay, you got to go to band camp for all one summer band camp, and you need one of these Phils to be your roommate: Phil Collins, Phil Donahue, or Phil Jackson. Phil Collins. Now, just because you know what, let's just say summer camp. Band camp makes. Of course, I'll pick <laughs> Phil Collins. Okay, let's say summer camp. And you need yeah. one of them to be your roommate, Phil Collins, Phil Donnie, or Phil Jackson. Uh, this one time at band camp. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty easy, right? That was two left out there. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I just watched um, the, the Jordan doc. Um, it was pretty amazing. It, it was crazy amazing. Phil Jackson, if that's the same Phil Jackson we're talking about. It is. Uh, the, yeah, I'd love to pick his mind. I, I can do that. I can hang out with him, play a little, tip, I, whatever. But I think I can see that happening. That was a great uh, doc, by the way. I assume you're listening. You're talking about the last dance. What pie have you never tried? Oh, my God. These, these questions are so wide open. I could say every bad answer possible, and I'm trying my best to not say what, that. What pie have you wanted to try that you've never tried? Put it that way. I mean, I could say 
you know, rhubarb pie, I guess, but I don't really want that. I pretty much had every pie. How about cheese cream pie? Is there even such thing? Cheese cream pie. Yeah. Now there's a conundrum. I don't think there is, but there's got to be cheese cream. I guess you could make a pie out of it. What else could we put in there? You know what? I'm going to make that my August mission. Cheese cream pie. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Like if I get this the- done, you're going to get a cheese cream pie in the mail. With with it with 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 uh, on top as well, and you're cutting into the cream cheese. And you know, a lot of times, the um, what's it called? The the uh, the, the breading. The the, the the I'm saying, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, pastry. The pastry is, is if you make the pastry good enough, a little bit of cheese cream, whatever the hell that is, yeah. couldn't go astray. Um, if you had to bake something right now and do a decent job, you got people coming over in two hours and you're like oh shit now someone gives you the ingredients here what are you gonna bake don't mean to brag but i like i like my cooking uh do you so you 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 could swim a mile anyway that was a question i figured as much i've seen you do it but i didn't realize you could go that far and you bake things it's one thing to cook but you bake things i didn't realize that so what would it be well you know what i like doing big uh big cookie sheet of vegetables so, like, I'm, by the way, I'm a master potato maker as well. Um, but anyways, a big sheet of vegetables, and you put a ton of them on, um, all different kinds from uh, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, peppers. Uh, you can put some dill in there. You can put some – just go to town with vegetables. Uh, you squeeze lemon. You put lemon all on top of it and put some feta cheese in there as well. And it's nothing, but it's the – the vegetables are, I love, obviously, because I'm grilling my steak, because that's why I'm going to grill my steak or my fish or whatever. But uh, I, I yeah. love that. I love taking, I try to eat healthy, and it's hard to have good vegetables. But when they come out like that, and there's some cheese in there, too, there's good cheese with some lemon on them, I'm a happy man. That sounds pretty good to me. I have uh, i haven't eaten chicken or red meat in six months, so I'm... Uh... I mean, I'm sure I will at some point. It was I watched the Game Changers. Have you ever seen the Game Changers on Netflix? I have not. Okay, well, I highly recommend it. Now, these people, yeah, it's it's you know, it's living healthy, and it's these people all, you know, they go vegan, and there's a lot of athletes that are doing it. And I, I look, I'm trying to be realistic. I don't know if I could go vegan the rest of my life, oh, but I'm what I'm actually doing. What's that? I did- I did see that. I take it back. So you're trying, you haven't eaten red meat in how long? Well, I went into the doctor around the same time and I have high cholesterol, but it's, it's hereditary. Dad had, it doesn't, and I, I do eat well. Um, anyway, but anyway, he gave me a pill and I said, you know what, John, I'm going to come in here three times in the next six months. So I went two months eating just vegan. Then I went two months as a vegetarian. Then I'm still on the back part of vegetables, um, and fish so pescatarian i guess and my cholesterol levels went like way down not only down like they were through the roof not only down dude like i'm on the other side of it so i enjoy fish i'm, I'm going I'm, I'm not going to be that guy if i go to a barbecue and people don't have a steak or they don't have a veggie burger you know i'm not eating here i'm, I'm not going to be that person but I've, I've glided through so far and i'm just saying i feel a lot healthier um, it's not a moral thing. It's not a I'm never going to eat steak again thing. It was my body. I want to live a long time. I want to have a healthy body, healthy heart, healthy mind for my daughter. You know, basically, you have kids and changes your perspective. Um, you can have, never have one of these things again. Which would it be? 
a sandwich, piece of a slice of pizza, taco. That, see now that's now it's a good one. I'll go. Uh, I'll go taco. I'll okay. go taco. Pizza, whatever. That's I try and eat healthy, but the pizza thing, I walk by it. I know I shouldn't have it. Not only will I have, I'll have one, I'll eat like way too many, so I feel sick. But I'm happy as it's going in my mouth, and then it's like <laughs> later I'm like, "You're such a moron. Why didn't you just have two bites and say you had four slices?" That's great. It's I'm happy as it's going in my mouth. That that's that's it says so much about uh, you know eating in general, but being a human. You know, I I am I'm happy as it's going in. I, I get it, but. That's why I can never get rid of pizza either. But you can make it slightly healthier, even a lot healthier by what you put on it. But pizza is so good. Um, if you had, like, I just imagine back in the day, like at some point someone came up with pizza and went, oh, fuck, like we've been missing this. It's just so good. Um, well, you know, it, it would have been like someone, like Bill Gates or something today, I would think, like, you know, coming up with pizza. Um, you have to live in one of these movies. Ferris Bueller, Star Wars, The Smurfs, or A River Runs Through It. Now, The Smurfs, obviously, you're a cartoon, but you're probably immortal, right? You're, that, that's where I'm going with that. Ferris Bueller, you're in the 80s, where you got to live in one of these, like, sets, but it's going to be real life. Ferris Bueller's great, but you're in the 80s forever. Star River Wars. What's that? River Runs Through It. Okay, but... So you're, you're good with that, because there's going to be no technology, there's no TVs or anything, but it's a very calming life, and it's... You well, seem to enjoy that. Well, okay, because the options are uh, the Smurf thing would, would I don't know about being blue. They all look the same and they all, I don't like the la, 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 la. I, and not a, one girl. One girl, Smurfette. That's like, no. So then Star Wars is, uh, there's, uh, there's, I don't trust robots. I I, I don't, uh, okay. you know, R2-D2 or go in this world and that world. And I, that, that's not my, too many question marks there. Too many question marks there. Um, Ferris Bueller's would be the 80s. I already lived the 80s. Like, I've already kind of, you know, it wasn't the best time. Couldn't get a girlfriend. Well, didn't have much fashion sense back then. Not that I have any now. Um, it was, it was, man, if I can, if I lived in Ferris's house, he seemed to be doing <laughs> Yeah. That would be okay. But uh, I love the, uh, I love the living outdoors. Uh, you mentioned the diet. You can be a pescatarian uh, all you want there because you can fish all day. Yeah. And then you have your little garden out there. Boom. River Missoula, Montana. I used to stop in there when I would drive back home from Tri-Cities from out west. I would stop into Missoula, Montana. What a spot. Um, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, what superpower would you have if you could pick one? Invisible. What building do you wish you built? Coliseum. Great answer. Who is my favorite building in the world? Who is your favorite dog in all of history? Well, I mean, I, the, if any of my family sees this, I have to say one of my dogs. Uh, so one of my three dogs, Jolie, Elsa, or Abby. Uh, but in Out, Outside room, of your own family dogs. Yeah. I can't really think of any in any movie. Like, I, Unfortunately, the only one that comes to mind is there's so many, but I'm so stuck right now. Uh oh no! I'll take uh uh what's his name? Uh, Scooby Benji Pluto Scooby Doo Scooby Doo Nice 
I didn't even think of that one. I, I, that's a great answer. Ham and pineapple, meat lovers, or veggie pizza? Meat lovers, easy. How many fish burgers have you ever eaten in your life? Wow, good question. Total? Total. Eight. Interesting. Uh, you could either be in a Quentin Tarantino movie or go on tour with Bruce Springsteen and sing a song during his encore every night. What Terrible singer? Oh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, if you had to come back as one of these things, what would it be? A bird, a whale, or a cheetah? Bird. Short lifespan, though. You're a whale. You're going to be around for possibly yeah, but 100. Yeah, he's hunting all that stuff. Like the bird, <laughs> kind of like... You could fly I'm, away. Yeah, people hunt birds, but way more birds get off. I mean, yeah, when it comes when, to ratio, like other than chickens, most chickens don't really even live to see the light of day. But if you're a, there's so many birds. If you're a, anything, think about it. Pigeons are right there, but they live. They live. They live. Bird of paradise, stork, whatever. Uh, last question. Do you believe in alien life forms? So funny. Ha. There's a TV show that's coming up, uh, or it's on Inst I don't know where it is, but there's a oh, it's on uh, Netflix. That it's a series about uh, UFOs and aliens. That is something that we all think is crazy, but is it? There's, there's gotta be. There's gotta be other people. Well, there's been. There's been actually some crazy. This is just a YouTube search. Like within the the United States government, this wasn't why I asked the question. But the United States government declassified a bunch of information in June, and because there's so much going on, any other time you would you, this would be all over the news. But it was covered a little bit. But there's a lot of things and their movements. So like, it just let's just say beings. I don't know, but these craft. Now, whatever. If if you're an advanced civilization, I'm thinking. So anyway, they got these craft and they're going like in crazy the, the, the speed. They're not using uh, an engine. There's a whole lot going on. And, and they, you know, this is on record. You can look it up. It's crazy. But I'm thinking if you were from another planet, another guy or wherever, they got means they could be from another dimension. I, I don't know if, if this indeed is not of this earth. If you were an alien, like people are like, what's inside? I would think it's a drone. Wouldn't you? Like, if we. What have we sent out into space? Like, you know, the Hubble telescope. We, no one would actually go if you were like, we're doing that now and we're human. And we're, we're not even close to whatever technology if this is otherworldly. So I don't necessarily think if, if this, if let's just say you're opening a big door saying aliens are here. But a lot of people are saying, well, you know, they're, they're flying around. I don't know if they are. If it was something, if we're going to open that door, I just can't see if they're that far advanced why they would send their own people here, it wouldn't make any sense. But yes, I believe in alien life forms too. Um, what what shape they are, what they look like, whether they can travel, I don't really know, but we can't be alone. Anyway, on that, that's as good as known as any. I, I usually end on with song lyrics, and it's going to be no different today. PJ, thanks for coming on. Uh, the lyrics are, come on with it, come on. You don't fight fear. That's okay. See if I care. Knock me down. It's all in vain. I get right back on my feet again. Hit me with your best shot by Pat Benatar. PJ, you've changed your look. You've changed your position. Um, actually, you, you still look like you did 20 years ago, but I mean as, as far as who you are and what you represent. Uh, you were a, a son, uh, a brother, uh, became a, a great teammate, an NHLer, a broadcaster, great father. 
you're always changing, but uh, you never really get too down. You always come back, bouncing back for more. And listen, the one thing I didn't mention was your brother, Dean, who's a dear friend of a lot of my friends, including Kurt Walsh. Uh, Dean yeah. passed away years ago. I, I'm glad I caught it because he came over here to the George Street Festival years ago and we did meet. And I re all I remember about Dean is that he was a great guy. My friend Kurt Walsh is one of the best people I know in the world. And if he was good friends with him, then I, I, I don't need any more than that. Uh, sorry to hear that news. And uh, you know, long live Dean. He's up with the aliens. <laughs> He's up with the aliens. Great answer. And uh, it all comes full circle. Listen, man. Love Dean, love you, really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this today, and I'm sure I'll see you again soon. We're starting to get back, right? We're starting to swing. It'll be a golf tournament, something like that soon, and I will see you. Thanks again, PJ. And there it is, PJ Stock. Uh, some unreal anecdotes. Uh, and that guy can really tell a story. Keeps people engaged, is passionate about the, uh, about the league, about sports, about team play. And uh, is funny and humorous. And uh, in other words, just a positive vibe, a good guy to be around. And it's interesting. I, uh, I never played on PJ's team. Like he said, we got no, we got no fist fight, really. For, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, you know, it's a fist fight is what it is. And uh, when we were, I guess, 20 years old, and before that I'd known of him, I didn't know till now he was a defenseman. And, I, you know, back in the day, everybody knew the hockey news stats, right? You'd open the hockey news. So there was, without the internet, I didn't try to memorize everybody in pro hockey or junior stats, but it would just happen because every week you'd open it up, you'd have 30-hour bus rides in the Western League, 16 hours to Prince George, and they were in our division. So a lot of bus time. So seeing a guy get a point a game in 432 minutes doesn't get lost on a, on a bus full of hockey prospects. So I always knew PJ, who he was, uh, got to know him. And then, you know, it was playing pro. I, th I think we, I th I, we fought again, maybe a couple times in, in, in the AHL and same thing. Those were toe to toe, like just knock them down, drag them out, slug fest, so to speak. Uh, and you know, then I'd see him after and maybe have a beer, whatever it might be. Uh, and over the years, I was his roommate at the, at the Dale Howard Chuck tournament, actually, at the golf tournament. What are just one of those guys I know. Uh, and, geez, came over here a couple years ago to raise money for, uh, for Heart and Stroke Foundation. So there you go. See, I, I forget half the times I spend with PJ, but we don't usually go two years without seeing each other. Same kind of person, same kind of player. And uh, you always root for those guys. So remember back... You know, who were, you know, around my age coming through, Gordy Dwyer was one, PJ, myself, my buddy Stephen Pete, you know, guys that were, you know, tough hombres that you didn't really know were going to get there. And, you know, guys that, that did what I did or, or, or played remotely the same way, you're really rooted for to get up. Clark Willem was another one, you know, guys that can score, but, you know, you got to fight and you, and, and, and you, go out there and you, and you got to hit and play it and you, you know, got to is shouldn't put it like got to, you want to, you're a player, you know, leaders. And so when you see one get up, you'd be happy. And anyway, when, when PJ went up, I remember being uh, really pumped for the guy and uh, we've been friends now for over two decades. So thanks again to PJ. Um, I'm pretty much done here, folks. Uh, I do. I, I actually, I got a couple of questions here. People asked here, let me get to them. 
I've got like 25. I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't have time to get to all these, but here, I'll do my best to get to a couple. Uh, hey, Terry, I just want to know what it was like to play in the NHL. My name is Jake. I'm 10 years old and I'm from Sarnia. Okay. Uh, let's look. I don't get many kids that are, that listen. And uh, for that reason, I've tried to clean it up a little bit lately because I realize there are some kids listening. <clears throat> but um, don't worry, there'll always be content. Uh, but what was it like? That's a large, large question. I could go so many different directions. So let me say this. Uh, just going to the arena was like a dream. Uh, it was something that, and you know, it was the Montreal Canadiens dressing room. So each day... I went, it wasn't only as a player, it was as a fan, right? And even a super fan of sorts, because I grew up loving them, the Montreal Canadiens. So I, I, I can't really narrow down what, what it was like to one experience, but I, um, it, 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 was, um, it was like living a dream. Some people aren't into hockey or into bowling. Well, picture, you know, being the best bowler in the world or whatever. Like, and I know I wasn't the best hockey player, but I was playing on, if you're a soccer fan, it was like playing on Manchester United or something. You know, a team with a lot of history. I was aware that I was amongst the best players ever, right? So I guess to be on the team that they played on was a big deal to me. And yeah, that, that was, and, and here, the, the next question is literally, uh, I'm looking, I might as well, there's another kid, asked, okay, same thing, Jessica, 13 years old, wanted to know what it was like to play in the NHL, so I'll try to answer both those in one, like every day was, was like living a dream, again, it was like a, a, yeah, that's a cliche, but that was it, I was a fan, but I also had to concentrate and realize that I was as good as, as they were, or you know, on their level, I'm on the team for a reason. So it was often hard to keep your wits about you because I'd have to go there and people that I was idolizing, I had to convince myself that I was as good as, right? Like going on the ice with Mark Recchi. Again, I'm not Mark Recchi. I'm not in the Hall of Fame, but I'm just saying I'm coming into it. He was in his mid-20s, had, had got a lot of points in junior. He even said this when I met him and, you know, <clears throat> I was the same. So I have to aspire to be, you know, a regular in the NHL. Like guys, I was looking at then, Brian Savage, Mark Recchi, Pierre Turgeon, Jonas Hoagland, Turner Stevenson, you know, all shapes and sizes. But the, so the whole thing was surreal, but <clears throat> a lot of people also ask, you know, if I was disappointed. Well, I, I guess being a first-round pick, but all that happened so fast, right? I became a, a, a junior star and a first-round pick really in a matter of months, I was a prospect, but like a, a, a blue chip, like this guy's going in the first round for a few months. And then, you know, everything before that was like wanting to play in the NHL as a kid. Okay. So I never, I'm not saying I never had confidence, but first of all, Newfoundland, we didn't go away as a province much. Like, I don't know, I'm getting goals here, but it, how's that going to translate on the mainland? And it doesn't always translate. Often in a smaller place, the guy getting or the girl getting the most goals goes away and she or he can't handle it, right? Not, not often. If you're if you're a real, real, real good player, it should be able to translate, but it doesn't always. And it almost never goes exactly as planned, whether that's bad or good. Uh, 
but what's a common denominator amongst all our all of us hockey kids when we're growing up is that you either picture yourself with the Stanley Cup or you picture yourself, you know, passing it to Bob Gainey at the time for me or, or Chris Nyland or, you know, your favorite players. But you never really know if, if you're good enough. So I suppose once I went in the first round and I went, and of course, for a couple of years, and you convince yourself with belief too. I mean, I, I, I fully believe that I didn't have a longer career because of injury. I mean, I mean, I know that, right? And my own doing as well. I mean, I didn't like Michelle Terry and I requested out of Montreal, but I probably should have gone back and stuck with it because they had a record number of injuries and I would have got a lot of NHL games. But, but besides that, okay, that now again, I always keep uh, digressing. Besides that, in my own personal mind, it could have been one shift. It could have been one game. Uh, but as a player, it was, it was very, it was really satisfying after my first game and my second game and third game, they all happened when I was 19 years old. And, you know, I only played three games in like six months, but I remember on the plane going back to junior and red deer and in the WHL. And when it was all sinking in, I was like, you know, what gave me satisfaction was knowing that I'm good enough. I don't care what anybody, I, I don't care if I never score. I don't care what happens. I mean, I, I did care, but, but what I'm saying is that an NHL team were confident enough, not only to give me money that, that happened. Right. But on this particular night, they were confident enough to put me on that roster. I'm putting on my skates because I'm good enough to play in the national hockey league. This isn't a joke. This is an exhibition. This isn't because anybody's doing me a favor. It's because I'm good enough to play on the Montreal Canadiens. Okay, so that feeling won't ever be taken away. I know it's there. I fought long and hard to, to get there. And I don't mean like physically fighting all those people. I mean like the mental adversity it takes to leave at 14, uh, you know, to, to not only live a long way from home at 15, 16, 17 in Tri-Cities, but in another country. If you think BC was far from Newfoundland at the time, Again, I'm talking pre-internet, but when people have their pretenses all, you know, in their mind. And, you know, if a Newfoundlander doesn't have a TV and he always wears rubber boots and, you know, there's always fishing, you know. And, and I had to deal with all that and ribbing and all that shit more so than I think that they, than they do have to today. And then going to Tri-Cities, like where they didn't even really know where Quinnell was or B.C. And we're right on the border of it. But in the United States, uh, they're not taught as much about other countries as we are in Canada. It's not their fault. Uh, the, you know, the people I went to high school with didn't even, they didn't know much about British Columbia. Again, it was five hours north. A lot of them would go, Columbia can be in Canada? I don't get it. Where does Britain come in? Right? I mean, that's what you're dealing with. So, and here I had to explain like Newfoundland, right? I was on it. Just, no, I'm, I'm convinced there was just the, the least amount of people from one place to be the least in like Kennewick to, to St. John's Newfoundland, just like no one in any one in, in that most, the vast majority in one place know nothing about the other. And, and especially pre-internet and I'm out there. It was honestly kind of made me schizophrenic. I had two different lives going on. And, uh, but a lot of that I'm rambling, uh, you know, all that shit was for a purpose and it was to play in the NHL. And I never really knew I was good enough till that first game. 
Now you could argue afterwards and, you know, after the eight games, you know, he did this and he did that. Oh, I should have done this and injuries and circumstance. And no, it wasn't Ryan. You suck. Well, whatever it is, whatever it is, eight times. Well, more than that, <laughs> because some, some games I didn't get a shift, but eight times. The, the, the One of the classiest, most prominent, winningest organizations in the history of sports on the earth was confident enough to put me on the roster with no catch, right? There was no sentimental. It's not like, oh, you know, Terry broke his leg. Let's give him a game before he retires. None of that shit. And that, that made me, was, was not confident as a hockey player, but knowing that, you know, the feeling is still there. And of course it can't be taken away, but it's hard for me to explain. You know, it's hard to answer, you know, what was it like to play in the NHL or what was it like to play on Montreal? But all I can tell you was, because there's so many answers, but I can't tell you what it was like to finally realize that I was good enough to play in the NHL. And I still smile when I think about it, man, because uh, I'm still a kid. I'm still a fan. I still love the game. And I can't believe not only did I play in the NHL, but I played for the, for the famous Montreal Canadiens and uh, still got friends like my guest today, PJ Stock. Thanks to everybody tuning in. Episode 64. Thanks to TJ's Pub, Green Sleeves. Downtown, uptown, come out and see us. Get out near if you're in Newfoundland. Uh, get out anyway to the pedestrian walk downtown. Drop by TJ's if you're out. Well, Penny Posh, Women's Wear Reimagined. And my good buddy, Peter Wedgwood. Visit him, Wedgwood Cafe, or call him. You can take care of all your catering needs. Great guy, great fella, great friend, great chef, great restaurant. Wedgwood Cafe, check it out. Okay, folks, thanks again. I'm out of here. This has been episode 64 of Tales with TR. See you next week. I'll catch you on the rebound.